0: this
1: is everything elite the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe i'm aaron bentley i'm one of your hosts and i am joined as always by my good friend nate aka Epitasis. what's up nate
2: What's up Aaron, i um, like actually fired up about wrestling, kind of, in like a traditional Aaron Taub fired up sort of way. Uh, I just listened to the Talk Is Jericho interview with Moxley and it just got me super high on hating the WWE. So I'm ready to talk about wrestling here.
1: All right, well, let's do it. Uh, also, of course, your old pal, Mike Spears. What's hey. up, Mike?
3: Hey, y'all, it's your old pal, Mike Spears. I'm, I'm good. You know, have had a very busy last few days, got back from Vegas. Sunday I've just kind of been getting it back in the swing of things you know it's it's cool to actually talk about wrestling I'm I'm sad that Nate can't just talk about vlogs anymore
1: (sighs) yeah no vlogs this episode I don't think no and for the very first time we are joined by Brian Quimby aka Murder Brian what's up Brian
0: hi guys how are you I got to be I got to hear your old pal Mike Spears part and live and it's very exciting for me (laughs) Uh, Brian,
2: it's the catchphrase that's really sweeping the uh, the Twitterverse right now.
1: I know, I know. If you don't know, Brian is uh, from Street Fight Radio, and I most recently heard him on an episode of Your Kickstarter Sucks, as yeah. he suggested that I listen to.
0: It was uh, that was my favorite. Sh- like I no, I had always wanted them to ask me to do a show. And uh, when they did, I was like the most excited in the world. They asked me the day of three hours before they were recording, and I just moved everything in my life around just doing that. Plus, I got to make fun of Nick DiPaolo, which was what I had been wanting to do. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. Make sure that you're following Brian at Murder Brian on
1: Twitter, but you can follow the show at Everything AEW. My Twitter account is at Aaron Like The Car. Nate is at Epitasis. And Mike is at Fujiheya, And that's Fuji with two eyes, as he said on his own episode of the podcast. Make sure that you are subscribing to the show. You can get our independent feed or um, just by searching Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice. Or you can subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and get our show along with all the other shows on the network. We have I don't know that we have a lot to talk about, but we've got uh, or as far as like number of things. But there's a lot to talk about. Double or nothing happened. Wrestling happened. going Wow. I know. We're going to review that. We're going to break it down. Uh, we're not going to talk about this, but I want to remind everyone that there were post-show uh, interviews with many of the wrestlers, and our old pal Mike was there to get audio from several wrestlers, and you can hear that, Everything Elite, episode number 20.
3: Yeah, check them out. It was a whole lot of fun to interview them. I got to talk to Nyla Rose. Uh, Sean Spears, Britt Baker, best friends, SCU, and Hangman Page, and it was really cool. They yep. they, they run a nice shop over at AEW. It, it was all
1: very good. I listened to it and uh, enjoyed it very much. So thanks, it, Mike, for getting that for us.
2: Hey, if that was uh, episode twenty, that makes this a lucky number twenty-one.
1: Oh, nice. Very nice.
2: It's almost like we planned that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're gonna talk about John Moxley. Spoiler alert: If you haven't watched the show, we're gonna talk about Fighter Fest some new signings to AEW. We are not going to talk about being the elite. There will be no review of the second BTE from last week or this week's BTE, largely because they weren't that newsworthy and we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. So let's get into the show. I want to talk first, get everyone's overall thoughts on
0: Double or Nothing. And Brian, you're our guest. I want to start with you. Uh, I thought it was good. I I thought it was better... I don't know if I liked it more than all in, but I liked it a lot. And uh, it's more exciting for me because uh, my, my partner on street fight, Brett uh, had got me back into wrestling in 2013. And then was like, I don't want to ever watch wrestling again. And uh, now he's, you know, very excited about wrestling again. And he's talking, you know, me and him, we spent the whole rest of the weekend talking about AEW. So like, it's cool that, like I get to sit next to somebody who's like rediscovering something that they love when I go to these shows. So, uh, I loved it. I thought it was really fun. Nate, what about you?
2: Uh, I thought it was pretty phenomenal. Um, got me, you know, high again off wrestling and like really feeling the energy and everything that I really wanted from like a big show. The pre-show is pretty much a totally different story. I was, Very uh, trepidatious about the entire promotion during the pre-show and was like, oh, wow, this isn't going to be what I want to see at all. Uh, And then the actual pay-per-view just turned that around uh, a full 180 degrees and just kicked ass the whole way through. Um, And, yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that AEW maybe is like bringing Brett back to wrestling because I was thinking that. We've seen already just every cool or like person, every cool person or person in like a creative industry who's like a famous creative person that likes wrestling just immediately jumped over to AEW. Uh and this was particularly notable with a lot of musicians over the last few days. Uh, Health, the band Health, uh JPEG Mafia, uh Speaks, Block Party. Um there's another guy who doesn't come to mind at the moment, but just a whole bunch of you know credible musicians that are actually cool were like pledging their support and shit, um, which is like cool to see. It's like, obviously this is the promotion that's more geared toward actual creativity from the wrestlers. Uh, but they've got to tap some of those people to get better theme music because the theme music on the show was one of the few areas they could really stand to improve because, because really nothing stood out to me.
0: Everything sounds like, uh like rights free type stuff that you can just find to like people use a lot of that for their podcast theme songs. It all sounds like, like, uh, like rock song. Number nine. (laughs) Absolutely does.
2: Uh, the best friends theme I said, sounded like the uh, song from WWF, no mercy generic theme one. It's everything was kind of in that same vibe. Uh, and you've got all these artists that are like willing and wanting to be part of cool wrestling. So you just got to involve them. I think if you can
1: got to get Wiccaface to do some uh, Wiccaface,
2: he's another one I was thinking of. Uh the audio the audio technician for Death Grips apparently goes to PWG all the time, so get him in there, why not? Come on.
0: They're Tron the 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 videos that they play are really good though, I think. Like uh the thing that saves Hangman cuz Hangman's theme music is is shitty. But uh I like how the the Trons like yell the Titan Tron is what I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they look a lot better than what WWE does, which is just like guys doing moves, you know, yeah. on, on the screen.
2: That was very notable when he showed up at that UK promotion that nobody knew who Hangman was until it said Hangman across the screen on his Tron. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to propose instead of Titan Tron, they call it like a Dusty Tron or something in this promotion.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll accept it. Yeah. Mike, we haven't heard from you, bud. What were your overall thoughts on the show? You were there.
3: Yeah, I was there, and I got a chance to, over Memorial Day, watch it again, and what was real interesting to me, and Brian can back me up on this, that arena might have been one of the loudest arenas I've ever been in for wrestling in my life. Like, I I felt like it was quieter than uh,
0: I did. There were points where the crowd, I think there were some points during the show where they almost lost the crowd, but yes when something hit it was extremely loud in there
3: yeah like moxley's debut was so much louder in person and i actually kind of felt the arena shake a little bit whereas on tv you know you can never get like the pure experience of being there live but i felt like moxley's debut was even more over live but i enjoyed the show overall i was sitting in my seats going through twitter and then seeing the uh seeing the unfortunate tweet early on that kind of took me out of it for a little bit. And then as soon as I saw that those matches were back on, I was back up for it. But I thought that like, unless you are someone that is just completely melted brain and are just going to say, Oh, you have to have WWE everything. You have to qualify this as a complete success. And from top to bottom, the, the inside of the promotion out, there's stuff to grow on. There was some production stuff, but for the most part, like this was exactly what you'd want as your pilot presentation. So I came away from this really impressed and hopeful.
2: On the, uh, I did think the sound mixing was pretty great. Um, you know, there were some like glitches with camera work and uh, you know uh, uh, throwing to segments and stuff like that that weren't ideal. But the ring sounded great. You could hear people, you know, chopping each other or slapping the legs like you were sitting front row at a show when you were watching this on screen. And the crowd sounded unbelievable. Like, obviously, it was a very good crowd, so they're going to sound good. But they were mic'd super well, um, and on the building shaking. When, um, when Emmy was it Emmy Sakura that did the Freddie yeah. Mercury cosplay? When she did the "We will, we will rock you" thing, the building was shaking to the degree that we saw all the cameras shake along with the stomps and claps, which was just like totally enhanced that whole thing.
3: Yeah, and speaking a little bit about like the production stuff, I noticed. In, in the crowd that it didn't come across on TV that that talking about like little miscues, yeah, the cuts, like one of my big things is, okay, guys, you can chill out on WWE style cuts where you cut every four seconds. But the light control sometimes was a little bit off. And the main time I noticed that was during the entrance for the main event when the house lights were almost completely up for when Kenny Omega came out. And there was just stage lights that were that were the only things that weren't just house lights. So that it, there is some stuff that you could tell that was a new crew.
0: So on TV, they're doing the cuts like WWE, the shaky cam and the multiple cuts every time somebody punches.
2: No shaky cam that I saw. Um, but I it probably is a little closer to like Ring of Honor WWE cut frequency than like a New Japan. Like New Japan will sit on a shot for, you know, 25 seconds or something where, yeah, they were a little more active in switching between shots here, I think. God, I
0: hope they stop that. I haven't watched AEW on a TV yet. I've only seen it live. I'm gonna watch Fight for the Fallen, but I haven't I was hoping that the TV was good. I've never heard their commentary or anything. And I heard like Excalibur was really good, but uh the new guy, uh Alex yeah, Marvez, Marvez, not very good. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I should, uh, I should probably take a huge L on just burying Jim Ross so relentlessly on this show, which we all pretty yeah, much was, did. Yeah, he was great. Because, yeah, that, that that's totally the shock of the show was Jim Ross and Excalibur were a great team together, great chemistry, seemed to like each other. Jim Ross was sitting back and, like, letting Excalibur call stuff, and then was just, like, chipping in with some good, like, flavor or hype or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, If he keeps that up, fantastic. I don't know what the deal was, if they just like paid him twice as much as he was getting for New Japan or
1: whatever it is. But he was like, it seemed like old Jim Ross out there. Somebody clearly had a talk with him, right? Because he put everything over. He never made a comment about, you know, whatever, running something down or whatever. He was never negative on anything that happened. Even when it was like the high energy, lots of spots, you know, he was like, oh, this this action is... Uh, outstanding or whatever, you know. Um, so I really think they told him, like, this just isn't going to work. And to his great credit, uh, like Nate said, he he laid back and only added something where it was good. And by the end of the night, I thought, oh, Excalibur and JR are really good. They can just throw Marvez away and focus on those two guys. And uh, I'm like excited about it. I liked it.
2: Yeah, it was weirdly good. I, I, you know, I think there's it was Marv. That's his first show ever, so I get, you know, and he, he you could tell like he was in quieter the band, than everyone Marvaz. else. He was like quieter than everyone else. Obviously, did not just have the confidence to, to jump in, and didn't help that Jim Ross like steamrolled them ten times probably. But you know, I don't think it's bad if he's like your um, Mike today and just like adds two facts per match or whatever. Whatever he's researched prior to that, maybe he's the stats guy and that's okay. Uh, But yeah, I mean, Excalibur and Jim Ross were the obvious
0: standouts. Why does three guys, I mean, why does it have to be three people? Because I feel like two men booths have traditionally been better. And I, you know, when I was still watching WWE and I was listening to all these podcasts, one of the things that everybody agreed on was like, you know, you could do one or two people. It doesn't always have to be three.
2: I don't think it's necessarily by the number what makes it. I really think it's just the quality of the comment, commentators themselves. Like, New Japan does pretty well when they've had Charlton, as is, is the third guy, like in that Mike Taney role where he only chimes in, you know, twice a match with some interesting fact or whatever. I think that's, like, a good role for a third guy. Uh, and Dave was discussing this and said, oh, you know, on Japanese commentary, sometimes they have five people out there they're just, like, they're slow to speak and they, you know, chime in when they have something important to say. I think that can work. You just have to have people that are trained or, uh, you know, practice at doing that.
1: As the co-host of a three-person podcast, <laughs> I would like to stand up for three-man booths at this moment. Okay, I got to give my take on the show, I guess. I haven't said my overall thoughts. Here's my take. It was the best American wrestling pay-per-view of all time.
2: Yeah, Found me a hot take.
1: <laughs> I mean I don't I don't think you're like
2: super wrong. That's my take. That's like that's like a reasonably hot that's like a reasonable
1: hot take. Now for my take, you have to forget that the pre-show ever happened. Okay? Yeah, that was that was that was a vlog. The pre-show was a vlog. <laughs> yes, the pre-show does not exist. But seriously, every match on the main show was at the very least good. And I would say every match was above average. I know Mike doesn't agree with me on that, but I think every match was above average. There was at least one match of the year contender. Everything over delivered, in my opinion, or at least delivered. Nothing bad on this show. Look back at like somebody would say WrestleMania 17, right? I think that would be a common best American wrestling pay-per-view. Okay, they had Taz and the APA versus the right to censor.
3: Yeah, who doesn't love that? There's had- a pillow fight too on oh, yeah, wasn't there? <laughs> I think there was. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, there
1: are some great matches on that show. Don't get me wrong, but there's some bad matches, which is fine. It's still a really good show. But this, I think, top to bottom, was excellent. You know, and part of the uh, joy of that, or part of you know what makes it easy to do that, is it's their first show, so they're are no stories that they're like paying off low on the card or whatever. So they just, but I kind of expect it to be this way. Like it sounds like they just want to let the wrestlers go out there and do their thing. There are going to be time restrictions, obviously. They're not going to be eight hour shows, but everybody just kind of got to show off what they're good at. And uh, if they keep doing that, it'll be successful. But anyway, I I, I I truly, sorry, this is not a, I'm not, I don't intend this as a hot take. I believe it. It's the best American wrestling pay-per-view of all time.
2: I was trying to think of what was the last WWE pay-per-view that was that good, like in the immediate aftermath that like I enjoyed watching that much. And I was like, Oh, well money in the bank, 2011, I was there. It was CM Punk's huge crowning achievement. When we all dreamed for a second that the WWE could be different than what it actually is. And, but that was like a two match show. Like it had a super hot main event and Daniel Bryan won the briefcase in the undercard, but what else was on that card? People shitting on a big show match. Like I don't, I don't think there is a, certainly not as consistent a card as this one in a very long time.
0: Well, and this card had like ridiculously high expectations for it too. For me, before this aired, I figured there was no way it was going to be successful because of the expectations that had been set up by All In. So I was really surprised at how much people liked it. It's almost like the pre-show helped. (laughs) <laughs> in that it lowered expectations.
1: Yeah. You're like, oh shit, this is going to be bad. And then, you know, they come out from the very first match and and killed it, in my opinion. I, the only thing that brings the show down for me is that the top two matches weren't the best matches on the card, in my opinion. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen the Young Bucks or the Lucha Brothers before, you've probably seen the match that they had at this show. Uh, so that kind of takes it down a little bit, but... Uh, it was still so good that, I don't know, I was just over the moon when this was over. I was so excited, kind of like what Nate was talking about. And it's just like so fired up for this promotion. So, all right, well, let's get into the card. We opened up with Adam Page winning the Casino Battle Royale by eliminating MJF. Here were your final competitors. The first group, the clubs, Brandon Cutler, Sunny Days, Michael Nakazawa, Dustin Thomas, MJF. The Diamonds group was Brian Pillman Jr., Jimmy Havoc. Joey Janella, I almost said Mike Spears, Sean Spears, and uh, Isaiah Cassidy. The Hearts Group, Billy Gunn, Glacier, Jungle Boy, Mark Quinn, and AC Romero. The Spades Group, Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, Sunny Kiss, Tommy Dreamer, and Orange Cassidy. And of course, the Joker was John, no, it was Adam Page. Adam Page came out last and ultimately won. Nate, what were your thoughts on the Casino Battle Royale?
2: Uh, kind of hated it. Um, was really pessimistic about it while it was happening. Uh, it was a far cry from the Battle Royale at All In because the Battle Royale at All In was great and clear and had like a focus going at all times. Whereas this was like a bunch of shit happening and the camera missing most of it. There were a bunch of like production miscues. Like Justin Roberts at one point announced that the first group was coming out and they didn't come out for like another. 90 seconds or two minutes or something um the joker surprise was like a disappointment in bte they had somebody who like went wild for adam page being announced here and it's like we all knew adam page was going to be on this show so kind of bold to like do a one vlog episode injury angle with him and they'd be like oh nope, he's all right and now he's the big surprise in this match um and i also hated the, the i mean i like that adam page one but i hated the finish that they did the fake-out thing with MJF and fucked up ringing the ring bell. Like, that was all very, seen this shit a hundred times, shouldn't be doing in the first match. You need to, like, lay the groundwork and the foundation for logical, clean winners and losers and not do this goofy shit in the first match. Um, so, yeah, I I pretty much hated this. The other match should have gone on first, uh, but uh, at least we got past this relatively quickly, I guess.
1: Though no, honestly, the timekeeper botch could have been a shoot uh, based on what happened yep. later in the shit right <laughs> uh what did everybody else get in obviously but what did you all think generally about the step here or the gimmick you know bringing out the five guys at a time mike
3: it played out really weird live yeah and it was weird on tv too yeah like the way that like Nate was referring to the diamonds thing in the arena the graphics were going off for the diamonds and then Justin Roberts made the announcement so I feel like that was the time cue but it seemed like no one was ready and then they, they had to pause so that Sean Spears could get his his special entrance in it, which was kind of lame. But, yeah, it just – it I thought initially that, like, going this way, okay, you get everyone in in theory 12 minutes and you get everyone out of there. But this match went on way too long in my mind. Like, it just was a lot of people standing around waiting for Paige to get in and clearing the ring. There was some cool stuff. Like, Luchasaurus, I mean – he deserved that contract with the way mm-hmm. that he eliminated people in that match. Like he looked awesome in this. Like he actually was the person I came out of this match being most impressed by. And I think there should be a Luchasaurus jungle boy tag team. But yeah, that's all. That's all my thoughts about it. It it was too long. It was a uh, whatever.
2: It felt, I felt like TNA.
1: Yeah, it was bad. I mean, it was like, Oh God, I, this is the point where I was like, Oh, this is going to fail. This is terrible. The show's <laughs> going to be terrible. And uh, I really regret Doing 19 episodes about this promotion.
2: This is also uh, why you shouldn't decide a world title challenger in a goofy match like this, because it's bad. And now it just looks kind of silly that Adam Page is a top guy because he won this weird little thing after getting the advantageous position. So, yeah, this this is
0: my number one complaint about the show is really this match.
1: Brian, I haven't heard from you.
0: I just I agree with Nate about the surprise sucking like d- just it being Adam Page was like of of course it's him and it would like reminds me of uh, this it was this thing where like before all in the young bucks kept taking like pictures of them standing next to like a POC action Adrian Neville action figure mm-hmm. which gets people thinking that it's possible that he could have been it all in. And this was sort of the same thing. It was like, uh, it just felt like they were teasing something really big and for it to be just a normal guy on the roster seemed, I was so let down when he walked out.
2: Yeah, I would definitely, if there's one thing I could communicate to them is like, and and Tony Khan too, because he was doing that thing all before this show about, Oh, it's going to be the best pay-per-view of all time. And said that, you know, five times. They have to manage expectations better. Because if you say it's going to be... If you're setting up the expectations there being this big surprise in the match and then put Adam Page out there, even though we all like Adam Page and he's a star on your promotion and he's over, if people are less excited to see Adam Page because you set the expectations so high. Like, they
1: need to manage that more regularly. Did they literally change everything when Pac wasn't able to be on the show? I mean... They'd already announced that there was going to be this like special 21st person right before they announced that the winner would get the title shot. So clearly it was going to be Paige versus Pac for the title shot against whoever won Jericho Omega. Mm -hmm. So it makes you think there was somebody else lined up to be the Joker, right?
2: I guess maybe the mystery partner for the Lucha Brothers at the next show. Maybe that's who it is.
1: Took somebody off the show. I mean, it's crazy.
2: Maybe I mean we'll, we'll probably never know, but right. and I don't. I don't also don't want to set the expectations for that mystery partner to be super high again either. But Not at this point, yeah guys, who I know who,
3: I know who the Joker would have been. It would have been the the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> 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 come out to like a really bad man. The box, like cover music. I think that would have ruled. I mean, come on, he's the innovator of violence, and he could have been your winner of the Casino Battle Royal. But, and, oh, go ahead, Brian.
0: Mike, I was also very excited to see Luchasaurus, my man, come walking out there because I saw him in Ring of Honor and I was like – I saw him in Ring of Honor the last time they came through Columbus. So, like, when he came out, I was like, holy shit, Luchasaurus is in AEW? This is great.
3: I just think Luchasaurus is someone that over TV he looks really hacky, but when you see him in person and he does, like, hook kicks and kills Joey Janela, you're just like, okay – I love Luchasaurus. This dude fucking rules. So I was all aboard Luchasaurus. I'm glad he signed.
2: Yeah, let me do a couple of quick hits on people in here. Brandon Cutler was super over, which was cool because they established him as like a good, likable guy on the show. Uh, Michael Nakazawa was obviously the most over guy for the first part of the match, as we predicted. And they also hit you with his baby oil stuff immediately, which is like, oh, yeah, this is not going to be you know, champion carnival pro wrestling. This is going to be uh, American pro wrestling with some goofy shit in there.
1: And Mike Tyson reportedly loved it.
2: Mike Tyson, yeah, reportedly was laughing his ass off. (laughs) Uh, Dustin Thomas didn't really seem to do anything until he got his shine spot in like the third group down the line. Uh, Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janela had the spot where Havoc stapled the lit cigarette to Joey Janela's forehead, which is a cool spot, but you missed 80% of it because of the camera work. So that was too bad. Um, Sean Spears had green contacts in, which was goofy and he's a jobber. He was over though, yeah. I don't know why. Uh, no, he Orange didn't do anything. <laughs> no, he got, he got eliminated by Dustin Thomas, is what he did. Yeah. Uh, Orange Cassidy, like, didn't get enough shine to do his big spots either. Like, he got a pop, but mostly confused people and confused the commentators because they said, "Oh, here's the surprise twenty-second entrance of the match," which was not what he was. He was in the last group but arrived late. But that makes your promotion look bad for doing. A goofy thing like a surprise 22nd entrance in your first match ever. That's stupid to do. And also, nobody smartened up the commentators on that. Gotta fix that. Um,
1: the best spot was Romero hitting Marco Stun out of the ring.
2: Yeah, almost killed Marco on that. It looked better when he did it in fucking Ohio or whatever. But yeah, this match I didn't like.
0: Joey's elimination was great.
1: That
2: was good. He had almost died. So that was cool.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I just remember that. Like, and Penelope. Really thought he died. Yeah,
2: and I think I I think they must have gotten custom tables here because they had unique black tables that all broke perfectly. Which is like, oh, okay, that's a good attention to detail if they've gone to that effort of getting tables that are going to break in a more predictable way for them. But
1: it's like they got the Japanese tables but made them easier to break. (laughs) Yeah, something. Yeah, they didn't look like the WWE table so that was nice. Well, this pre-show only got worse when. a Kylie Ray interview occurred and she was interrupted by Peter Avalon and Leva Bates doing uh, their librarian shtick. And I don't, did you all see this in the, in the arena?
0: Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> I, I was out in like the it. casino smoking a cigarette. That was smart. <laughs> That's <laughs> what no I should interest. have been doing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was somewhat over in the arena, but it just kind of was lame and, you know, Tony made a comment about BTE stuff, not really making TV. So I don't think we are going to have to sit through a lot of this much longer if that's the case, because it was just weird and awkward. And I get that they wanted to have like a little break because so they could do like pitching and stuff like that during the pre-show. But it, just, it was lame in the arena. Like, I, I don't know. I hated that segment.
1: Yes, I was even more thinking, wow, this is this really is going to fail uh, in the <laughs>
2: first show. It looked small budget. It looked, I mean, it was, not, it was a BT segment that they put onto the main show. And it's like, oh yeah, here's why you have to have a distinction between what goes on your major league television or pay-per-view versus what goes on your little homemade beat, you know, YouTube show. Yeah. Cause yeah, this, this came off terribly and I don't even know what the joke was. Cause like, it looked so bad. I looked down at my phone and was like, oh wow. Yeah. This is not going over
1: well. And they were using this to sell pay-per-views. It's like, come on, bad judgment. All right, one more pre-show match. Kip Sabian defeated Sammy Guevara with his uh, Deathly Hallows finisher. I don't really have anything to say about this match. It was fine, but I was still pretty worried about the show. <laughs> yeah,
2: here's my, my take on this match is this had to be the opener, not the goofy battle royale. You have two young athletic guys out there who can do a lot of cool shit. Sammy Guevara acts like a badass. Kip Sabian needs to learn how to act more like a badass because he was not in this match. Um, and you had, uh, the referee Aubrey out there, which would have would have immediately set your promotion apart as distinct because you have the female ref out there with two young athletic guys having a good spirited contest. If this had been the opener and had a nice solid little match here, and then you have the clusterfuck of the battle Royale, then the pre-show is like 30% better just because of the match order. Uh, but they didn't do that.
3: Yeah. This played like a early 2016 receipt, match went two and a half stars, thought it was just kind of there, and it was kind of uh small room. I liked uh, I liked Kip Sabian. This the first time I saw him, I thought he was a little bit more impressive than Sammy, who I've seen a bunch in Triple A. But, yeah, two and a half stars. He's a,
1: he's a hunk. He's got, got that going for him.
3: Yeah. I mean, both of them are hunks. This was a hunk match.
1: Yeah.
0: Brian, did you skip this match? I didn't see yeah, I was I think I was <laughs> still I didn't get in until uh the Sean Spears entrance into the arena because it was a pain in the ass to get in, and they kept they made me throw some shit away. And then uh also, like I said, after the battle royal, I was kind of like, Well, we probably have like 20 minutes till the show starts. So I'm just gonna we, let's just go out and smoke. And they made you walk all the way out to the casino, so was I was smart. not there. It was
1: smart, you didn't miss anything, and then Uh, bizarrely there was a promo for Sadie Gibbs who we've now learned has signed with AEW, but I mean this, the show was getting destroyed on Twitter at this point. It was like, uh, it just seemed like they didn't have any idea what they were doing.
3: Even more so in the Reno, this promo, like it was really well shot. I think it was one of the really good British photographers who did this, but just like right after the match, we had like this video clip of this woman who was being athletic, working out and then finished with a Sasuke special didn't know why, and it just said Sadie Gibbs. They didn't say Sadie Gibbs was coming. He just said Sadie Gibbs. And at this point, this was also when the tweet went along that people thought that a couple of matches were cut from the show. And I was like, Oh boy, I'm in Las Vegas for this. This is going to be a long night. And luckily, this was the last thing that you saw before the pay per view, right? Well, yeah. I mean, they they no, did. Yeah, have the, the elite came it. out. Yeah, the elite came out. But this was just like really weird and disjointed. And it was one of those things that throughout the arena, whenever they would have these we didn't hear anything really that well like we never heard yeah. either of the commentary teams when they did the stand-ups which on tv i thought the stand-ups when they went to the commentary booth looked really cool because it looked like a crow's nest it looked a little bit more like how you would see baseball or nba teams how they have their commentary i thought that was really cool but like for like this segment it was this was kind of the nadir of the show and it got a whole lot better from here
1: Yeah, I guess I I was mixed up with when the actual pay-per-view started. So we see Cody and Brandy arriving, the window rolls down, and it's Pharaoh! This was good. And it did remind me of, I I guess WWF WWF did it too, but it reminded me of the Nitros, you know, when Hogan or whoever was showing up in the limo. So that was fun. Matt Jackson meets Michael Nakazawa in the concourse, or backstage, or whatever. Uh, But then luckily... Finally. So, we get- hold
2: on. There was a, there was a segment here where the bucks super kicked Q- QT. Sure. Right. So, and they fucked up the continuity because they had QT was driving the car with Pharaoh in it. Let's Cody and Brandy out of the car. And then he's immediately in the arena taking the bucks tickets or something. And it was very amateurish. The two segments look, like they were like, they were shot by entirely different teams on two entirely different projects. And I was again, like, Oh wow. There's no quality control here. Like we're, just going to follow QT Marshall from outside in the parking lot. to now he's taking people's tickets for some reason or something like that. So, yeah, again, I was like, oh, wow, this
1: is going to be bad shit. So then we get the Bucks, Cody, Brady, and Kenny Omega out to cut a promo. Omega says, you know, hey, I wasn't, I didn't get to do this uh, last time. So he wants to cut the promo, greets the crowd. And Matt tells us there are 20,000 people in attendance. And they do a little bit about, uh, wrestling attendance reporting and say actually there are closer to 13,000, but they're gonna round it up to 20 it. It was- <laughs> <laughs> re- something, but No, nope. that's how
0: I mean, that's how I responded to it live though, too. It was like, oh, that's clever. Okay, cool
2: <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Meltzer, you know lost his mind over this but
0: he did I listened to uh, Observer radio and he was like, I mean it was hilarious people in the arena knew what they were doing they were making fun of wwe that's hilarious and i was like okay (laughs) buddy
2: it it is uh i you know i whatever at the actual joke they made i was looking at people's tweets in japanese like especially uh the joshi after the show and people reacting to the joshi and like the joshi's home promotions you know putting over the fact that they were doing this and there were a lot of people in japanese tweeting about there being twenty thousand people at this show (laughs) So that was funny to me, but that was, you know, not actual, the content of the joke.
1: Sure. Would have been 40,000 in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, It's funny that, you know, people always make the audience of one jokes about WWE, but AEW is an audience of one, but it's Dave Meltzer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All the jokes are just for Dave. There are two finishers on this show that have Meltzer in the name. So that's good. All right. We get to the main card and SCU. Christopher Daniels, Frankie Gazarian, and Scorpio Sky defeat Stronghearts. Hearts. Uh, SU hits the best meltzer ever, and L. Lindemann takes the fall. Gotta start with Mike on this one.
3: Yeah. This was, I'll be honest, this was kind of an emotional thing for me. This was the first time I got to see Shima live in about seven years. Last time I saw him was when DGUSA was in Miami for that WrestleMania show, which famously had Chuck Taylor punch out a manager out afterwards, but uh, yeah, no, this was a really cool match. It was my first time ever seeing T Hawk and El Lindemann live, and I was really happy with how, just on their own merits, those two guys got over in the building. T Hawk was throwing chops, and it was getting really loud chops, and the crowd is reacting to it. El Lindemann, I mean. That dude just dumped people on his head, on their head for us. He just took people for rides, and I love this match. I went three and three quarters on it. I, it was what I wanted out of this opener. It was a hot, fast, pace six man. One thing that we talked about on the when we were doing our, when we were doing our pre-pro was they never made any indication in the arena about the ten count for in between tags or having team members in the lead in the ring. Like that was just not a thing and I never would have known it because it didn't seem like it was enforced that much until commentary kind of went over and over about this on any multi-person match. So, but yeah, I love this and I'm really hoping that T Hawk and Alinda will be back for fight for the fallen and for fighter fest.
2: Yeah. I thought this match was pretty great. I was like really impressed with how, I mean, like we know that SCU is like really athletic and uh, you know, the, uh uh experienced and like are able to have these really fun sort of uh six-man scrambles and shit like this um but yeah i was very impressed with how they like kept up with you know uh the stronghearts guys running around t-hawks chop sounded awesome uh shima like laying in the knees on stuff looked awesome and got pops every time stronghearts got a chant at one point which was pretty cool probably the biggest downside of this match was JR kept hammering on how they're from China. He didn't say they're literally Chinese, but he kept saying, you know, against these athletes from China, and they do work for a Chinese promotion, but it gave a lot of people license to go, you know, somebody fucking clue JR into the fact that these guys are Japanese and they just happen to work for a Chinese company. Um, That was probably like, honestly, JR's biggest mistake or blunder of the night. And it's like, he's not actually super incorrect. But it just comes off a little weird because, you know, people have a predilection to believe that JR is probably being a racist just because of his age. And it <laughs> wouldn't be out of character for him to confuse two giant Asian countries. Um, but yeah, the match was awesome. I was like, okay, you know, they're gonna get into their groove now here. If this is what the action looks like for the rest of the show, then I'm gonna be into it.
0: I like the I'd like i thought it was fun i i can't watch a scu match without being like i can't believe how over these guys are it's the it's so fucking crazy to me that those guys are that over so like a lot of the time i'm just like i wonder what it is that makes people like these guys but it was a fun match to watch and i didn't know a lot of the strong hearts guys i didn't know which one was shima which one was L. Lindemann and which one was T. Hawk. So I feel kind of guilty about that because I could have just asked Mike, but I did. What do you think about it, A.T.? I
1: may be, first of all. Oh, wow. Aaron Taub is an absentee co Huge cohort. blunder. That I, was a huge blunder. I, I'm
3: editing this out. I'm writing out the time code right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: I'm not editing it out. Sure, no, don't edit it out. So uh,
1: I thought this was great. I would probably have it slightly lower than you, Mike, but I think that makes sense. I'd probably be about three and a half or so. Uh, it was very good, and I just want everyone to tell me that I was right on the previous show when I said this would be the opener. And uh, it was a great opener, great action to get the show started.
2: I uh, I did want T-Hawk to win. I wanted T-Hawk to come out with the Wrestle 1 title and win the match. That's my other complaint.
1: I wanted Al Lindemann to win. Uh, he is my favorite person in Dragon Gate. I think that's fair, or you know, he can't win player. until
2: he gets the uh, the cherry blossom tights back. He needs those to win.
1: I don't know anything about that, but I love him and his big thighs. And uh, I was sad to see him take the fall here, but he was very good. And I thought I had another take, but I've lost it, so I got no more takes on this match. It was good. Brandy Rhodes comes out. And announces that she well she's in gear first of all full gear, and I was pretty concerned at that point that she was going to insert herself into the match. Well, so first everybody else entered, then Brandy Rhodes came out. That's fair. That's fair. So I was afraid that Brandy was going to enter into the match, but instead she brings out Awesome Kong, and inserts her into the match, and so we get a four way match. Ultimately, Britt Baker defeats Kylie Rae, Nyla Rose, and Awesome Kong with the last shot uh i'm gonna start with brian this time brian what'd you think about this one
0: i went fucking nuts for awesome kong and i don't think i've ever seen a wrestle other than on Glow. <laughs> yeah. but i just got up and i just went fu- i went crazy because the whole room went fucking crazy for her, and it just felt like oh my god this is really special now like the match was pretty good i i there, You could see that some of the people in the room were, like, green or that Awesome Kong maybe didn't have the kind of mobility that, like, maybe she would have had in the past. But I still – I love the match. I thought it was a really good match.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I really liked the match. The surprise was awesome. Um They – Literally. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um It was the, – the whole – the fake – the thing where Brandy faked this out and was like, oh, I'm going to put myself in the match – um, was like very reminiscent when the new day did that at WrestleMania before introducing the Hardys. And I don't really get, I guess you, uh. it's weird to troll your audience and be like, Oh, you don't want to see me in the match, but now I'm going to put myself in the match. I don't have anything against Brandy, but that's the sort of the re the reaction that it got. Um, and I, I mean, I like Brandy generally, but as far as, you know, inserting herself into matches when she's the, you know, person in charge of this division is kind of a bad look, but awesome. Kong was a awesome surprise. um, she they got over the fact that Britt was like keeping her out of the ring. Well, actually, Allie got that over on commentary, which I think was good because you know Awesome Kong did come out and like do a couple spots, and then she was out of the ring and not involved in a lot of it. So it was good that they sort of justified that. Um And my 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 complaint about I did like them. And my complaint about this match is they said Smiley before Kylie's name every single fucking time. Whenever they talked about Kylie Ray, they said Smiley Kylie. That's f- it's fucking Michael Cole shit. I don't want it. Don't do it. You don't have to hammer on what her character is for her character to get to get over. Um, Like, her, I watched the Sammy Guevara vlog today, and she's in there and, like, being herself, and it's just, like, way better than, you know, a, a dialed-up
1: version of... I mean, she has a fucking smiley face on her gear, so... Yeah,
2: just dial it down. Like, that's... I mean, you know, there was a lot of heat about this, but calling her smiley every time... And putting a smiley face on her and putting a smiley face on the Tron that's not really different than doing the wacky arm flailing inflatable tube man. That's like the same Nate, thing.
0: So did Nate can I ask did well, I'll just ask all of you did you me and Brett both felt this way and maybe we're wrong, but it felt like Nyla Rose worked really like light, like wasn't connecting on a lot of stuff. And it, that's what I meant when I said that mm-hmm. it was she's she seemed green to me, but it didn't. It was because I, I that's who I was like. I was excited about Nyla Rose. Like I would like I like like bit monster type people. And like that's why I freaked out about Awesome Kong. That's like my favorite style of wrestler. And uh I just I felt like she worked super light. And it, it like a lot of her stuff didn't land super well. And it, it kind of bummed me out a little bit. <laughs>
2: but, I did not notice. I kind of have a different gauge for you know, how stiff things look in American pro wrestling versus, uh, well, in American women's pro wrestling against Joshi. Like, I think it almost always looks late when you have American women. Um, but yeah, it, it didn't jump out of me anyway.
3: I noticed a visible difference between how she looked in the arena than how she looked like on TV. Like, okay,
0: that's probably it. That yep. Maybe it's just because I only saw it live.
3: Yeah, it, it, it was one of the things that, I felt like live this was a very weird match. I felt like that this was kind of that Kylie and Britt had their own match. And then you suddenly just had awesome Kong and Nyla Rose come in and, and then they they did their thing and then they were back out again. So like it felt very disjointed live, but on TV, I felt like that Nyla looked really great. So yeah, I was
1: going to say that surprised me because Nyla I'd never seen her wrestle before and whatever expectation expectations that made me have, she exceeded them i was like oh she's really good like they really might have something with her and wow it,
0: it yeah. could just be it like i said i was sitting with with brett and like he kind of felt the same way i did so maybe we just like i said something and then he confirmed it and then i just kind of believe it later because i don't want to i don't want to be like a dick about it because <laughs> I, I know she's really new And like, I don't want to just be like, oh, I thought it stunk, but I did, I did was like the, the, the weak link in this match, I mean the weak links in the match were Nyla Rose and, and awesome Kong to me once, once it started going, you know?
2: Yeah. I think that makes sense because, uh, Britt and Kylie have worked against each other more and have more of a style that I think we're used to watching in Americans, women wrestling, American women's wrestling. Um, So that makes
1: sense to me. I thought Britt Baker was better here than I expected, too. I thought she was pretty good here. Kylie, I felt like, didn't really get as much of a chance to shine as I wanted her to have. But obviously, Britt Baker is going to be the focus of this division early on. So I guess that makes sense.
0: Also, can I just say, according to Alex Worldwide Keller, uh, Britt Baker is a Kratom warrior. So obviously, (laughs) I will always, always root for her.
2: How we stand. (laughs) Stand Indeed. (laughs)
0: All right.
1: Anything else on that match?
2: Yeah, I have have two points. Um, (laughs) So it seemed like they were establishing that maybe Brandy is going to be like managing Awesome Kong or something, and maybe that's what we're looking at going ahead to Brandy's little showdown with Allie because Brandy was going to bring in somebody to do her confrontation with Allie. So with Brandy being being out there for the whole match and getting the reaction shots, I think maybe her and Awesome Kong are going to be like a unit, which is, uh, I think, kind of a good pairing there. So that's um, way
1: better than what it kind of looked like, which was Brandy as an authority figure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think she is. I mean, she is still an authority figure, as we saw here. And they do have to figure out some way that they cannot have five authority m- figures on the roster all the time. Right. Like, that doesn't... Uh, I don't know how you write TV doing it that way.
1: And they, I really hope that they avoid, you know, Deus Ex Brandy in the booking, like, from here on out. It's kind of lame to just be like oh, I can just come in and, and put this person in the match right before it starts. Yeah, right.
2: it's it, also very WWE.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. So authority figure shit, which is like the thing we really hope doesn't happen here.
2: And uh, my other point is a lot of people, it's going to be weird because I'm going to defend like a slightly insensitive thing that people were getting on JR for.
1: Oh, wow. You're allowed I to talk about... the second time you've done that on this yeah, show already. You're
2: allowed to talk about competitors' weights in a wrestling match that's... Presented to be a fake combat sport, you're allowed to do that. Maybe he wasn't like super, um, uh, super ideal in how he phrased things or his diction, but that is, you know, it, it matters that Awesome Kong is twice the size of Britt Baker and that Nyla Rose is twice the size of Kylie Ray. Like, that's kind of the thrust of the thing that we're, you know, getting over here is that there are people with advantages here and there are monsters in this division and there are people who are smaller and have to have heart and willpower to get up and fight against from underneath them. So uh, just saying that, because people are like, oh, yeah, you know, JR is being classic JR and making all these inappropriate comments about women. And, you know, uh, the context kind of matters.
1: Got to say that I did not see those takes, but I also that did not even cross my mind watching this match. I didn't think anything about his comments. Uh, I think uh, those takes that I haven't seen, I'm going to now denounce as very bad takes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> brave thank
3: wow. you yeah uh, th- the other thing that i noticed about this match and i noticed on tv was Ali coming out and doing commentary was fine and it made marvez even seem more zanned out just because <laughs> just because like he was already pretty like whenever he was on he's a very mellow person and he has like one statement and disappears but he maybe said two senses this whole entire match and that yeah. kind of stuck out to me
0: can I say that if Alex Marvez is Zanned out, then I'm pro-Alex Marvez? <laughs> Speaking of uh, being Zanned out, did I
1: really thought that, I should have said this earlier, that Brian Pillman Jr.'s look for this show, I thought it was really like a Lil Zan type like white rapper gimmick.
3: Like
1: okay. I, he, he, or uh, Lil White is what I meant. Lil White. You guys familiar with Lil White? No. Well, check him out. <laughs> Brian, do you know Lil White? No, I do not. Oh, he's right up your fucking alley, my man. Lil white. I do love <laughs> drugs. <laughs> I know. That's what I've heard. Uh, he's got a song called Oxy Cotton. Okay. Uh, he's close, or you know, he's down to Three Six Mafia because he's from Memphis, hmm. and so he's got that kind of vibe, except not as good. Uh, but I don't know. I think you'd like him. That's what okay. I'm. Okay. That's what I'm saying. I'm gonna check him out. <laughs> Little White. It's spelled W Y T E. Okay.
2: Sure. A W. Get Lil White to do Brian Pillman's (laughs) theme music. Why not?
1: (laughs) All right. Moving on. The best friends defeated Angelico and Jack Evans. Uh, Trent pinned Jack Evans after hitting him with the Strong Zero. Somebody bring me a take.
3: Yeah. uh, Jack Evans is always owned, and he's still owned in this match. Angelico, who boy. He was someone that always was kind of getting carried in his teams and he looked much worse on TV than he did live. And he didn't look too great live, but the rest of this match I thought was solid. I mean, I really popped when I was watching TV when JR did Excalibur's uh, Falcon Arrow bit that made me laugh hard, but yeah, I, this was just like another, this was another match that kind of felt like a a tag match and I liked it enough, but even with Angelico bringing it down, so I went three and a half on it. So I thought it was fun.
2: This uh, this exceeded my expectations. Like I said in the last show, these aren't teams that I like peak super high for seeing their matches. Even though I do like them both and I like seeing their matches, I you know I don't like go wild for them. And I went like semi wild for this one. If that's the thing, I don't do star rating, so I'll just do levels of wildness that I got. (laughs) I went semi wild on this one. Um, Probably a lot of that was. You know, the crowd enhanced this whole show because the crowd was super live for everything and like gave everything, you know, the proper amount of attention and pop for all the big spots. And this had a shitload of big spots on it. And the crowd went bonkers for all of them. So that was really how it worked for me. Um, yeah, the, the the point where Chuck did the B, Falcon Arrow, Excalibur said no one kicks out of the Falcon Arrow. I cut to Chuck saying nobody kicks out of the Falcon Arrow. And then JR realizes this and is just like immediately like befuddled but charmed by whatever happens and then repeats it. That's the point where I turn around on JR and I'm like, oh, wow, he's like having fun with Excalibur out there. Like this is like if JR went to seat and called the PWG show. So now I'm really
1: about this. He clearly likes Excalibur. Yeah. So he's willing to play ball
0: with him, so that's cool. Uh, Can I echo? Can I echo something that I've seen posted a lot? You can't. You can't have both teams with the same colors. No doubt. Just that's you don't do that, especially with like a. It's funny because they did it during like a new in a new promotion where a bunch of new people are watching a thing, which probably confused the shit out of somebody that didn't know either one of the teams. Yeah, and also on Helico's.
1: Outfit was just awful.
0: Yeah. Oh, that was I thought I liked helico's oh, outfit. God awful. <laughs> worst
2: worst gear since like Jason Kincaid and Evolve oh, is what wrong. Angelico had on. It was literally a can outfit, a cane outfit, but neon green, like monster <laughs> neon green or motocross neon green. It was
1: hideous. He's got real motocross
3: vibes. Yeah. I think I guess
1: he probably does motocross. I don't know.
3: Yeah, they've talked about it in interviews. I thought he looked like a motocross handsome mm-hmm. serial killer. I liked it. Okay, well, speaking of that, big question for Nate first. Is
1: Angelico a hunk?
2: No, not if he wears that gear. If he has other I, gear, maybe he's a hunk.
1: He's sexy. He's a good-looking guy, <laughs> that well, guy. We, we called him a hunk on the preview episode, I think, or some recent episode, and I was not so sure after seeing him on this show.
2: Uh, Trent is the bigger hunk.
0: Trent, hunk. Haven't seen them next to each other. Trent's the bigger hunk here. Hunk is like... Uh, hunk is like a relative to i don't think that Helico is a hunk i think that like he's good looking he's like handsome he's he looks like a handsome yeah. guy totally he's not right. like strong you know oh you think you have to be strong to be a hunk yeah that's what hunk means oh wow. hunk a hunk of muscles <laughs> <laughs> i think you do have to be muscular to be a hunk that's true yes but yes. it's not like angelico is not muscular i mean he's obviously mm. like defined He looks like a rave guy. Like if I was hanging out at a rave. (laughs) Yeah, he's like like. like
2: an Ibiza fucking, yeah.
0: Okay, well, we've solved the Great Hunk debate.
1: Super Smash Brothers come out after the match. The lights go down a number of times, and we get the Super Smash Brothers out to attack the best friends. What did y'all think about this angle?
0: confused i was most (laughs) i had no at first i kept i kept looking at the guy next to me not brett but the other guy i'm like is that paro is that like (laughs) paro and that other guy he was with and evolved like who who are these guys really really overestimated how much people in the audience know
2: yeah that's i think the big thing about this is if you do a blackout then people are expecting to see somebody wild when the lights come back on um and this mostly confused them, which is why it got like the one adversarial chant from the crowd as people chanted, who are you at this? Um, which, you know, if, if, as like a surprise thing where you're introducing all these weird, creepy minions behind them, I get the blackout there. So like, I'm not mad about it. But uh, even though it started off like weird, uh, it, you know, their moves looked awesome when they beat the shit out of everybody. And then, you know, they did the player dos, I think, sat on the throne made of minions. And that was badass
3: no that was player uno player uno yeah i watched a lot Chakara. i recognized who they were immediately but yeah it was weird it, it played weird in the arena the pauses were just way too long for blackouts in my opinion and as brian said basically my brother and i were the two people like oh it's super smash brothers okay no one else in my area knew who they were so i had to look
0: in the chat like, okay that's where i've ended up figuring it out but like I don't know. I think I've maybe seen like one match with those guys. I do think the minions are cool though. Hopefully that is like a thing they keep with them.
2: Yeah, at least the throne. The throne was my favorite part.
0: I guess you don't
1: really have to know who they are though, right? I mean, it's important for the live crowd if you want a reaction, I suppose, but it's a brand new company. They're trying to get over people. Like there's plenty of angles in wrestling history where somebody you don't know comes out and attacks somebody, right? For sure. Um,
2: but if you're going to do that, I think you can't have indie gear on when player does kind of had indie gear on an indie look and indie face paint like got to go major league
1: with that shit. I agree with that. All right, now the real main event of <laughs> double or nothing. Hikaru Shida, Riho, and Rio Mizunami defeated Aja Kong, Yuka Sakazaki, and Emi Sakura. Was uh, <laughs> Shida pinned Sakura after a running knee strike. I'm going to start on this match because uh, it was the match I was most looking forward to. And I am maybe wrongly considered the Joshi boy on the podcast. Uh, This ruled. There were rumors going around earlier in the show that the match had been cut.
2: Well, Simon, this is blame. It was Robert's fault. Robert said the match was cut. Everybody believed him.
1: Even people that, you know, don't listen
2: to a fucking word Robert says believed him immediately.
1: Yeah. In fairness, I did put it on our account, but I put a question mark after it. So I was not suggesting that it was not happening. bad job out of you i know but it was weird right because they did not mention they did a card rundown and did not mention it and jr infamously said the day before that he didn't know why it was on the card
2: (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even know that that rules well the full context of his quote was way more acceptable
1: Yes, but still, you can't say I don't know why this is on the card. No, you
2: you can because people took it out of context on Twitter. This is Twitter's fault and not anybody's. The promotion's fault and part of that fault lies on you. Yeah, for fucking retweeting that or whatever. So I blame this mostly on you. I don't think I retweeted it. First of all, well, you yeah, you didn't. You would have been better if you retweeted it because then at least people would have the context of knowing. Wait, now you're telling me you retweeted it. Well, you just repeated it, and that's like worse because then you just get a game of telephone. So basically, this was Twitter's fault, and you're a big part of that, and I blame you. And I think that you should apologize to all the Joshi in this match.
1: No, I will not. I have
2: nothing to apologize for. I love them. I'm going to let them know that you you know, misrepresented their match and let them
1: down. I would never do that. I would never let Hikaru Shida down, ever. <sighs> okay. So we were all very excited when the match actually happened. Uh, the entrances were great. That was awesome. And the match was great. It had the little... A uh, botch toward the end where the timekeeper, for God knows what reason, rang the bell at what was clearly not the finish. And Aubrey Edwards became a star on this night as she simply stared down the timekeeper and said no and continued the match. She never hesitated. She was brilliant. Uh, I It was strangely laid out a little bit in that, well, Yuka Sakazaki was the star of the match. I don't think there's a question about that.
3: Yeah, she became the most charming person alive.
1: I think
2: Riho was the star.
1: Yeah. What did you say, Nate?
2: I said, I think Riho was the star.
1: Oh, you're wrong about that. Yukasaki was the star. Weird that Hikaru Shida really kind of wasn't there until she won the match. She she didn't really get a lot of focus, I didn't think. Uh, But overall, I thought this was really good. Probably slightly below four stars, but uh, a very good match.
2: This was my second favorite match of the night. Um, yeah, like you said, everybody got a pretty good amount of shine, uh, except for Shida, which who didn't get a whole lot. But maybe that's okay because she won the match, and we know she's going to have opportunities to shine in future matches. So maybe this was like a cool uh, you know, diplomatic thing that you give everybody else a little more shine when she's got opportunities later. Uh, Yuka Sakazaki was awesome, as we all know. Um, see Gura's uh, Freddie Mercury bit, got over pretty big. Uh, my casual friend who was watching called Ryo Mizunami female Okada because he thought that her gear and like hair was like Okada-esque because she had the red robe and like the short haircut. But, yeah, my favorite was Riho, that Kuru Kuru ribbon move that she does is like the coolest fucking spot I've ever seen. Um, and she was just extremely smooth the entire match. Um, and, you know, like works great being like the person selling for Aja Kong, who also kicked ass in this match because she's super small. Um, so, yeah, I love this match. Uh, and I especially love that the crowd like got into it immediately. Like this is the perfect pro wrestling crowd. And the real challenge for this promotion is if they're going to be able to maintain a crowd as uh, a game for things as this one was when they start running more arenas that aren't for traveling crowds. Because if you start pulling from the WWE crowd, you're going to get more shitty fans than the ones they have right now who aren't going to give this time. They're just going to yell shit like, who are you? Um, but that's not what happened here. Instead, people were like, Super live for shit and started popping for all the great stuff. Soup got into the match big time by the end of it. And yeah, they got to fire the timekeeper.
0: Yeah, they do gotta fire that timekeeper. He fucked up twice.
2: Yeah, it was not
1: good.
0: They gotta get they got if they're
1: stealing from ROH, they gotta get ROH's timekeeper. Is that uh the former ROH timekeeper? Is that Amy Rose? Is that her name? Amy Rose, that's right. I knew it's Amy, I couldn't think of her last name. Brian, yeah, did you I've know? never
2: heard her fuck up a uh bell, so sure. Never.
1: Brian, did you know any of these people going into this match?
0: Nope. I didn't know any of the people. Aja Kong. I sure. knew actually. But did you and have fun? Was it good? I did. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I like watching Joshi whenever I get the chance. I went to stardom when I was in New York too. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I like watching it when I get the chance. I just don't often get the chance to see it. I guess I could like go out of my way and try to watch it a lot more, but I just, I don't, for some reason, do that. So, it's fun every time I get to see it. I I, I love it. I thought this was a great match. Who was your favorite? The Freddie Mercury. Oh, Aja Kong was my favorite, but I did <laughs> like the Freddie Mercury woman. She okay. was great. I guess I'm alone on Riho Reho Island here.
1: No, Reho was great. I just thought yeah, it, was it was best.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I... Came into this match being like kind of stoked. I walked out of this match with, with it being my second favorite match of the show. I went four flat on it. It was just awesome. Everyone got over the crowd, is respectful and then turned really into the match it was because like this was a crowd that was going to be respectful to whatever was being shown. But the fact that the building shook for Emmy Sakura doing We Will Rocky and the fact that Yuka Sakazaki doing her dive to the outside got such a huge pop was Tremendous. And it just was one of those this was just like one of those moments in the, one of these matches that yeah, it's very clear that they were saving Sheeta, maybe protecting Sheeta in this. But the entire match was just really excellent. I mean, I mean Rio Muzun- I'm mispronounce her name really bad. Rio Mizunami had a really great house of fire spot part way through that I really liked. And yeah, this match ruled. It owned. I liked it.
1: I loved that JR would only say Aja Kong's name. <laughs> He did not even try to say anyone else's name. And I respect that. He he stayed in his lane. That was good. And he let Excalibur uh, say the names of all the wrestlers. Uh, Big L for the Twitter nerds who said that the crowd would shit on this. Huge L. Very bad look for them.
0: Uh, It's very stupid to say because the crowd at that show isn't going to shit on anything unless it's like really bad
1: right yeah i I think they just thought they would sit on their hands or even like do bad chance or something it's like you just you don't understand the crowd that's coming to this particular show it was good nate i have a question for you hit me yuka sakazaki i love her in tokyo joshi pro but i thought she looked better and uh, as she looked like more of a star here than i've ever thought of her before do you agree with that
2: Um, yes, but I think that's probably symptomatic of it being a bigger show and a bigger stage and a way glossier production. It's hard for anyone to look like as big of a star when they're like in a Japanese prefectural gymnasium in front of like, you know, 300 people maybe, um, in terms of how she carried herself or anything. I don't, I didn't notice any like major differences or anything on that part. But I think that goes to show that you can capitalize on people who are really successful in the indies and have managed to get over other places. Because if you take that act that has already gotten over in those buildings and, you know, shine it up and put it into a a well produced big stage like this, uh, then it can, you know, come off as stardom like that, you know, as long as you don't have
1: indie gear. I think the biggest takeaway from this match in particular was that they really have the possibility of bringing uh, the Joshi wrestlers like signing them to long to full-time contracts i think this type of presentation the time they got the reaction they got i mean would you i don't know her her deal with uh Tokyo Joshi Pro or anything but would you be at all shocked if sakazaki suddenly signed a full-time deal and came over to AEW
2: full time yes i don't know about her in particular i think there's a a smaller number of women or people in general that are uh, ambitious enough or uh, daring enough to move out of the country on an unproven sort of thing to take a job like that. I think you really have to be going for it to do that. So I don't think there's going to be any critical mass of Joshi wrestlers uh, leaving their home promotions. Uh, Do I think that We're going to see more, you know, people coming over occasionally like a B Priestly and, you know, still being full time stardom, but having occasional spots in this promotion. Uh, Yeah, that's what I would want to see. And that's what I hope they're doing rather than having, you know, uh, or, you know, strip mining a bunch of Japanese promotions.
1: I guess my point is this. If you're debuting a division or whatever they're going to do with the Joshis, this is the maybe the best it could have gone as far as showing anyone who's willing to come over on a more regular basis that this is legit, we're going to give it time, let you do what you do, and the crowd is going to be responsive to it. Yuka Sakazaki looked like she was having the time of her life. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that I saw from her like on Instagram later was like, I mean, she was talking about how she was still you know, kind of flying high from, uh, from the show and everything. So I just, I don't know. I think this was as good a debut as they could have had for this. Uh, but what's interesting what? to me is are they going to keep these women separated from the other women?
2: Uh, I I don't think you can do that. I think you have to have, yeah. I don't think they have a big enough roster that they wouldn't be able to integrate <laughs> the two styles of, between Joshi and American women's pro wrestling. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it, they're the polar opposite of the WWE in that. The WWE, you know, uh, if they're trying to get a Japanese star, or a Mexican star, they look and say, oh, well, you know, look what happened with Kenta. Look what happened with uh, La Sombra. Uh, whereas here, yeah, if they want to attract a Japanese star to sign with them to like, you know, we're, you know, we're, we take this seriously. Like we, we want you to come over and be presented as a star so we can make you a star in this company uh, rather than having you be a, uh, a card in our deck that we put on main event for
1: 50 weeks out of the year. All right. That's the Joshi match. Next up, Cody defeated Dustin Rhodes after a crossroads. Uh, I thought this was the best match of the night. I think it is a match of the year contender. I had it at four and a half. I was. I don't know. I just loved it. I thought it was great.
0: I loved it. It was that I was like so fucking shocked that Cody and Dustin put on my favorite match of the night at this show. When like I'm not even a guy that's super into that southern style wrestling kind of thing, but. Now I think I am really into it. And, you know, he really opened up a gusher. It was fucking sweet.
2: (laughs) Yeah, this match kicked ass uh, largely because Dustin just had the full crimson mask, like, uh, bled all over the place, was dripping blood on the canvas. Um, All the action was awesome. The crowd, obviously, it was molten hot through all of it. Uh, This was, yeah, my match of the night. Among my matches of the year, um, yeah, and before we even get to the post-match you know match theatrics uh, just the, the the back and forth and the southern style overbooking with Brandy throwing the spear and getting kicked out by Earl Habner that was all phenomenal
3: yeah and I just I went four and a quarter this was my match tonight so I think this was universal for all of us that this was exceptional and this was the match that I feel like the probably I, I would wager that most have had the most trepidation or like we were the most trepidatious towards and Every, they went for it. This was obviously the match that Cody has always wanted to do with Dustin, and this was really the kind of stuff he wanted to do. I, I, I'm i going to call out AB here and say, hey, the hammer at the beginning of the match, the pre-match thing where he brought down the throne, was awesome, it was evocative of Macintosh 1984 promo, and it just ruled, and it was the, something that you can't do too often, but if he's going to be the one that's... And he's the one that always says oh, I'm going to be the one bringing the revolution, follow me, trust me, I'm the one that's going to do this because I'm the one that's going to take it down. He's the one that always makes the shots at WWE. So if he's the one that's doing things like this, then it's okay, as long as they don't go overkill with it. But I loved it. I loved everything about it. And then, as they referred to, the post-match it also was amazing. And, you know, Dustin just, like, he decided he wouldn't have, like, the match of his life, and he was going to bleed a just a exceedingly discomfort discomforting amount, but it, I loved it. Like the whole entire match was tremendous. Can,
0: yeah. The blood I'm sorry, Brian, go ahead. Can I just say, I want them to always be attacking WWE because yeah. <laughs> like, I don't understand this idea that like, Oh, they shouldn't go after the other company, the big company. It's like part of, as a person who was alive for the Monday night wars, that was like all the shit that I loved the most was when WCW was going after WWE or F at the time. I love that shit. I can't get enough of it.
2: Yeah. I think they're. I think, I don't know. People must be afraid that they're going to like alienate the hardcore WWE fans by doing that or something. Um, or that they just think it's like cheesy um, or something. I, I love it. I love the pettiness of it, especially coming from Cody who was like in there and had his, you know, whole family, including his father, fucked over by the WWF at various times. Like, fuck that. You can tell them to fuck off. You can smash all their shit. It's badass. It's the coolest Cody ever is is when he dumps on their stupid bullshit. So, uh, yeah, do it all the time. Um, until, until unless the WWE magically gets good and like has a better product than you, then you can do it day in, day out.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll take the unpopular side here. I... Also loved when the companies went at each other in the Monday Night Wars. Like the whole deal of, you know, we understand Mick Foley is going to win their world title like that rules. Uh, Love all that. Loved all that as a kid. And I don't, I think they should mention WWE. Like, I don't think they should just like act like WWE doesn't exist. I think that would be dumb. You know, it just wouldn't reflect the reality of the situation. But on your first big show, your first show period, you got this big moment. You're getting ready to have this amazing match. It's just a little cheesy, like Nate said, to even bring that world into this world for that moment. Why? What, what did that's, it add to that? That's match?
2: vital to Cody's character. That is a defining element of Cody's character. It's been in his theme music since the day he left the WWE, the whole wrestling has more than one royal family. He's talking about, hey, The McMahons are not the only royal family. I'm the prince of the Rhodes royal family. That's his whole shit. It hasn't been that explicit, but it's there. And the whole story of this match was Cody Rhodes killing the Attitude Era. Triple H and his shitty 25-minute WrestleMania walk and brawls are exactly what he was going out there to kill because they wouldn't let his generation put his foot down on the gas. That was integral to the story of him going out and killing the Attitude Era and Triple H being the WWE signifier of that, he couldn't do it to Triple H, so he did it to his brother instead, basically. So vital to this, this part of the match, badass to take shots at them because they suck ass. Um, and yeah, that's that the chip on his shoulder about the way that the WWE has treated his family for two generations three generations is like part and parcel of Cody Rhodes. So I say go out there with it. If I have one complaint about that. It's that everybody goes in this media interviews, Tony Khan and Jim Ross and everybody else is like, oh, we're not trying to be competition. We're not trying to be competition. We're not trying to be competition. And then you watch the actual show and Cody's like, we're changing the world. This is a revolution. Fuck them. We're going to take over. And you, you can't do
0: both. You got to pick a link. Why not be competition either? What? Why not? Why can't they be competition? They're obviously I don't get competition. Yeah, yeah, and they are.
1: Well, I, I think the point of that is they don't want to be, they don't want their metrics to be compared to WWE's at this point. I don't think they... When view when TV starts, they don't want people to say, well, you have to have more viewers than WWE to be successful.
0: Okay. That's true. But it is also like, as just... I don't know. As, as far as entertainment goes, it is always... You can lie and beat your chest and make yourself seem bigger than you are, especially in wrestling. I don't understand why you wouldn't come out and just say, like, yeah, because they are. They're in competition with each other over talent. You know, they're hiring guys away from WWE. Guys are trying to leave WWE to come to them. So there is a competition going on, and I think they are in competition for fans. I agree that they're absolutely in competition. I'm just saying I understand
1: why they don't want that burden as they're trying to get out of the gate. You know, they just don't want to be – Viewed as they have to uh, develop or not develop, but they have to produce the metrics that WWE does to to succeed.
2: Yeah, if, if Tony Khan wants to give that take to TV Guide or whoever the fuck, that's fine. But in the context of anything like within pro wrestling, I you know your competition, like and and you're off to a swimming start at this point, so you can lean into it. I think
1: it's all well. It's also a pro labor take to say that you want. You don't want any companies to die because you want there to be as many possible for people to work i guess i'm anti-labor because i want the wwe to die
0: i do too i would love to see the wwe just go away forever because it sucks (laughs) i would love it to get so bad there that they have to completely you know restructure and
1: and change what they do i'll
0: I'll tell you what i'd like i would like aew to be so successful that they buy wwe and fire big man and triple
1: and they do the thing where it's like vince pops up on the screen you yes know, like the nitro where uh where he's buying nitro buying wcw
2: <laughs> it's like, oh, wow Vince, brian Vince, brian Vince, is, is pro monopoly i can't believe brian is pro monopoly on this
0: podcast <laughs> well i apologize please if you don't listen to street fight uh if you do listen to street fight i'm against monopolies if you don't <laughs> then i'm pro this monopoly
1: <laughs> uh, i want to talk about blood real quick uh shout out to erica i not only do i love blood in wrestling like i just think it's absolutely essential to a a hot wrestling match blood and nobody blades anymore as like no major company allows bleeding anymore. And so not only did it really help this match, like I think the blood was really important to the match, but it probably shot the match up for me because it announced to the world that AEW is not going to follow those same rules. They're not going to be like WWE and try to uh, appease, you know, uh, shareholders, which they don't have at this point. But you know what I mean? They're not going to try to appease corporate sponsors by being, uh, you know, clean and whatever. So the blood, I think, was important to the match, but it was also important as a symbol of what the promotion is going to be. And I was very happy to see it.
3: Yeah, and on top of that, the commentary was tremendous about it. Jr. was great talking about, okay, it's all in his eyes. You have know, the uh, paint in his eyes, too, and why isn't the referee making it? Why isn't Earl Hebner making a decision here? Why isn't he getting like at least something to wipe out his eyes? And it's a great statement of purpose of this is how we are doing our spectacle blood matches. And I thought that yeah. that was very important. I'm sorry.
1: Importantly, Earl Hebner did not put on gloves.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, Earl, Earl was good. That was I'll take another L. Earl was perfectly good in this match. though. So.
1: he was great. But I'm serious in that it wasn't it just felt like old wrestling, which I know Cody and Dustin love, and I love a lot, like Mid South and that that era of wrestling. But it it didn't feel like the sanitized world of WWE. So I appreciated that. Or you yeah, know,
2: they, and I think we'll get into this. UFC,
1: they were being pro wrestling.
2: Yeah, we'll get into this in the uh, Moxley part when we talk about that later. But yeah, and I think that's another great way where they can distinguish themselves is they're gonna—they seem to be TV fourteen oriented instead of PG—and um, they're gonna let you know guys play their music however they want to play it and do blood and do creativity and like have more of a uh, a, a playful sort of creativity aspect to their product instead of being. You know, uh, scripts.
1: All right. After the match, Cody tells uh, Dustin that Dustin cannot retire here. Uh, I think Nate kind of felt it coming. I think he tweeted this that Dustin was just going to leave his boots in the ring.
2: Well, when they, they first about. cut it, when they first cut to him, he had his hands in his
1: laces. So, yeah. Right. Would have been very powerful. And yes, I think that's what they were trying to get you to think was coming. Uh, he says that uh, next month at Fight for the Fallen, he wants Dustin to be his uh tag team partner to face the young bucks. And he tells Dustin that he doesn't need a partner or a friend. He needs his brother. And this was
0: like a uh, pretty emotional. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted them. I really wanted Heat there. Like, I really, really, me and Brett both sat there and was like, I hope Cody kicks him in the fucking no head. Way. I did. I wow. really did. I thought it would have been Big the whiff. perfect fucking okay, time. Okay, Vince. Okay, Vince. It would have been the perfect <laughs> time to, but they were in a feud with each other. They could have got a whole nother match out of this thing. Now they're just a tag team. You say that you like, you never tighten that. Match.
1: You
2: can't heighten that match anyway. He dumped the blood all over the place. You can't go to a yeah. second match after that. You could have.
0: That was people were so you, excited. Uh, no, I'm right about this. People no were way. so no. happy. <laughs> 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 See, I'm getting heat just by saying it. <laughs> Cut his mic. Cut his fucking mic.
2: Yeah, this was awesome. Um, this was extremely heartfelt. This is like the melodramatic uh, real-life entered intertwined with the work that you want from pro wrestling, where you feel that there's real stuff there, even though it's all this silly masquerade on top of it. Uh, Cody quoted, you know, from uh, from a dusty Rhodes promo where dusty was talking to Dustin way back in the day. So you get those beautiful sort of uh, parallels there and it's just, you know, exactly the sort of cheesy pro wrestling shit that we live and die for. Um, And Cody also delivered it very well. I wonder if that – his ability to deliver these lines and promos, I don't know if that's like a symptom of him actually, you know, having been an actor and taking acting classes and being in television or whatever. But he's just got like that crack in the voice. Like, oh, yeah,
1: give me that. That's the juice right there. Yes, and I don't know. I just – I loved this so much. I loved the post-match. It was just – I don't know. It made me emotional. And I know this was great. I know this whole match and this post match was great. And Brian is an idiot because <laughs> I was, uh, as I said last week, I was uh, at my my mother's. Uh, her normie ass uh, boyfriend was there. A great guy. I wasn't saying that to demean him. He's just a normie. And he just started asking me questions like, "Well, what is this? You know, what's going on here? And then he sits down and the first full match he watches is Cody versus Dustin and he was glued to it. Then he had a billion questions. Then he wanted to watch the next match. Yeah. I mean, this was great pro wrestling. All
3: I, right. Uh, I was, was going to let you all get your argument about should sure he have <laughs> tacked his brother or not out. Was I the only really one who thought that that Cody was straight up cribbing the view never changes a little bit?
1: Yeah. No, he literally did. Yeah.
3: Okay, cool. That, that, that's all I'll say to add.
1: Yeah. I just... This like I guess this is what it was supposed to evoke, but mm-hmm. it, like it hurt me. It it really like literally hurt my heart that Dusty wasn't there for this.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh so, I, well, I I mean this is like you know really getting into it, but yeah, I think the great tragedy of this whole promotion right now is that it took Dusty dying for Cody to do this. Really, and you know maybe it couldn't have happened any other way, but you have to imagine if you know, this match happens and, and Dusty Rhodes is still alive for it. And like this announces that the Rhodes are now the main opposition to the McMahon family. Like, well, yeah. give me a break.
1: Mm-hmm. Would have been five stars. Easy. If Dusty <laughs> was there. Yeah. Okay. Next we get a pretty big surprise as Brett Hart comes out uh, with the job of revealing the AEW world championship belt which he only vaguely actually does in this segment, but he brings out Adam page, uh, puts over Adam page, talks about, he's going to be challenging for the AEW world championship. MJF interrupts, says page ought to give up his title shot because of his leg injury <laughs> and has a great line about not being a horse doctor that I'm sure everybody is, uh, has heard or, or professor. Right. Oh, what did I say? Doctor. Oh, that was so bad. I'm so sorry. Uh, bizarrely, Jungle Boy and Jimmy Havoc come out to attack MJF. And uh, and we just kind of vaguely see the belt at the end. So thoughts on this segment? Well, uh, first, like, great cool-down segment instead of putting on a match Mm -hmm. between Cody and Dustin and the uh, Bucks, Lucha Bros. Uh, So I thought this really served that purpose. Didn't go on too long. I just thought the Jungle Boy and Jimmy Havoc thing was a little weird. MJF, this was the most compelling I've ever thought he was. I'm not usually that high on him, even as a talker, and everybody thinks he's, like, the best talker of all time. I've never really thought that, but I thought he was really good here.
0: He was great. I fucking ruled in this (laughs) segment, and I also will say that Jungle Boy and uh, Jimmy Havoc was kind of, like, really weird to me, and I still don't know what the belt looks like. So (laughs) that was, like, I thought it was a fine segment. I just have no idea what the belt looks like.
3: The belt looks really cool, Uh, not to kind of just derail. I did get to meet Chris Mukigana-Harrington for a brief moment, and he showed me the clips that were in BTE about the belt. It looks like a combination of the IWGP and the old uh, Mid-Atlantic North American title. Like It's a big belt. It's very shiny. It's very heavy. But I love MJF, and I think MJF is great here. I thought that Jungle Boy should have been seconded by Luchasaurus so they could form their tag team. Because <laughs> I'm going to get this tag team to happen as a lower card tag team. If it's the death of me, it should be Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. And you know, this was a really smart cooldown, like how AB said, especially considering how much blood was on the mat. I mean, I don't know if the cameras picked it up, but they had two, they had two different sets of canvas one on top of each other, so they could pull one off like this. It mm-hmm. bled through the canvas, like it was that. Oh. At least I noticed in person up to it. So, yeah. Yeah, so
1: SB was watching with me and she's like, gosh, I hope they're going to change this canvas. I was like, no way they're going to change this canvas. They only brought one canvas. They didn't expect it to get this bad. Now we're stuck with it. And then in the next match, it was like, oh, it's a perfectly clean canvas. I'm a dumbass.
2: Yeah, this was a good segment. It was cool to have Bret Hart. I think PW Insider, somebody said that it was originally going to be Ric Flair presenting the belt. But Brett is a better surprise because it's more of a fuck you to the WWE because they fucked over him and his whole family for generations. So fuck them. Um, Brett coming out and bringing the belt was cool. He actually said the words world championship wrestling. So just confirmed it, that this is the new WCW and um, yeah, that was cool. Very cool to have Brett there. Jack Whitehall introduced Brett, which is like just cool to have like British Classy, British, rich guy energy on your show, even if he is like a goofy comedian or whatever, just because it kind of classes up a little presentation like this a bit. Um, the MJF's promo is great. MJF is better suited for cutting these TV heel promos than he is for like being a featured indie guy, I think, because that's his strength more so than the, you know, match stuff. Um, yeah, the, just, so just I, un- I totally understand why they had Jungle Boy and Jimmy Havoc come out to like back back jimmy or back uh uh, mjf back down the ramp because of his healing like they wanted to establish hey here's the two guys out of that battle royale to keep your eye on here's who's going to be featured players going forward like super good looking young kid with a you know pedigree and then jimmy havoc who's like this totally other badass energy or whatever um so i get that but it is it's just a weird pairing they don't look like they would hang out together under any circumstances and also just like it was another one of those weird production things where Jungle Boy got no music. He just showed up, but Jimmy Havoc got a full entrance. Like, that, there's got to be, like, more consistency there or something, or it's got to be, like, plotted just a little better. But cool segment. Awesome to see. Brett and uh, the belt looks good, but I think the logo is just, like, a little – it's, like, 10% too big on everything. Like, it was too big on the on the blazers that the commentators wore, too. I don't know. I mean, I know, like, Polo had the big-ass pol- logos for a minute there, but <laughs> – the same, same with the belt. The logo is like 10, 15% too big on the belt, too. That's my only complaint.
1: Um, there's like a universe or a scenario where bringing out Bret Hart at this feels cringy and like try hard. And this was not it. It was like perfect. When he came out, it just like felt big, it felt important. And uh, I loved it. I mean, and, and it was also fun to watch Bret's face while MJF was cutting his promo. You could he tell seemed, that,
2: seemed to be enjoying it.
1: Oh, he loved it. He was like, oh, this guy's good. You know, you could uh, appreciate that. So that was a lot of fun. All right. In our semi-main event, or actually they built it as a co-main event on the on the actual pay-per-view. The Young Bucks defeated the Lucha Brothers to retain the AAA tag team titles when Nick, Jix- Nick Jackson <laughs> pinned Phoenix after a Meltzer driver. I kind of already spoiled my take earlier in the show. I kind of thought... Uh, I've just seen a lot of this stuff from these teams before. I've heard people who had never seen either team before were just bowled over by it, and I can understand that.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, there was a lot of the show that I guess for people who watch a lot of independent wrestling and a lot of these kind of teams, that some of the some of the matches on the show really did feel like something you have seen in PWG, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, the first time I saw Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks, I was blown away by this, and I kind of had this similar opinion. As you there, AB. I also really liked how they did the introduction for the title match where they had Rick Knox do the microphone for the final I guess. Oh, yeah. I thought that was really cool. I also, by the way, Justin Roberts the entire night was a tremendous ring announcer and made me forget how awesome he is, like how he was pronouncing it, the triple A tag team title, and he made sure he got everyone's pronunciations right. There was nothing that he got wrong in this. It just added a level of gravitas to this promotion that I really liked. But yeah, you know, this was kind of um, an interesting match. I thought it was interesting that Matt started, has started to do more power moves, and that was a big part of it. And they made a deal out of the arm break from Pentagon Jr., which was cool. And it was also really funny how the Young Bucks outright cribbed Okada for their entrance with the Bucks Bucks, you know, and I had those shoot off right in front of me in the arena, and I thought that was tremendous but yeah no this was a fun match i still want four stars on it i thought it was a fun match it just was a match that if i would have saw it fresh or without seeing these guys before i'd be completely blown away
2: yeah i uh i like the match a lot i you know i think we all knew that hey you know we've we've all seen these guys a a lot of times and seen them against each other a fair amount so uh we kind of know what it's going to look like even that being said they still impressed me because they had some New spots in there, the stuff where the Bucks were quoting the Motor City Machine Guns and Steen Erico. And um, there might have been another team in there. Oh, they they did the, you know, did the package pile driver. So they were even quoting Lucha Brothers as like a, you know, uh, a career rival of theirs. That was all dope. Um, you kind of think, you know, hey, you know, that's like a message to Steen Erico, like, hey, you know, super PWG is over here. Why don't you guys like come over here and like real wrestle real matches? Um but yeah, so I was excited to see all that. Um, the it got that sort of big match presentation for being a title match, which, like you said, it was very cool. Um, and I guess the the question is is were those was like the top rope brainbuster? Is that supposed to be the big move that Matt Jackson was working on a BTE, or we didn't really see that? I don't know. It, that story kind of got stepped on by like the Judas <laughs> effect story, so I don't know.
3: Yeah, no, that's El Generico's old finisher on the Indies, the top rope brainbuster.
2: Is that the one that they were teasing on oh, ATE, do we no, think?
3: No, and they made a reference to that. It was El Generico. There also was a Hiroshi Hase reference that JR and uh, Excalibur got into, and they both They both seem to really like each other, for, and I like that because I like the idea that Excalibur, who's just this big wrestling nerd, has the ability to impress JR, and that this was a match that really came across to these two guys for how much time they spend in Elena really have developed good chemistry with each other.
1: Brian, your thoughts on this
0: match? That's good. I mean, I I think I'm i I think I'm with I, I think I'm with the I thought it started out slow and I thought it really did just seem like a young bucks, just like it didn't seem like a special young bucks match. Which I'm not even a guy that hates the young bucks. I think they kick ass, but I did like the top row brainbuster a lot and. uh there was another thing. There was something to the floor. A, a Canadian Destroyer, I think, to the floor, if oh, I'm yeah. not the,
2: mistaken. The Lucha Brothers did those Canadian Destroyers on the apron. And then, yeah, I think to the outside. And, yeah, JR went fucking bonkers for those, which was, like, funny to think about how JR would have reacted to that, like, two years ago.
0: Yeah. And and so I liked the match a lot. And I do think – I mean, not to spoil anything. I think it was better than the main event. But uh, I also – I don't know. Maybe I expected more, especially since their match got cut short at all. In I, I think I expected a lot more than what we ended up getting.
2: Wow, okay, this well, is I, I, I mean, not
0: in the arena, in in the arena, it didn't feel. I guess, I guess, just in the arena, it was quiet for the first part of the match. I thought it was a good match. I, like, I'm not saying I hated it or anything. I just <laughs> didn't think that it was like. Uh, I didn't think it felt. Like, particularly special. It felt like kind of going through the motions, sort of thing.
1: Really didn't expect Brian to come on the show and support monopolies and hate the young
0: <laughs> I don't hate the young boss.
1: Really weird. Now we're never going to
2: get co opted.
0: That's right. I love the young. I liked the young bucks. I don't want
3: to prevent you guys from being able to sell out because,
0: (laughs) as a person who can't sell
3: out, it sucks. (laughs) I, I mean, I've been open and willing to sell out at a moment's notice. So, but yeah, no, it was a kind of a weird feeling match in the arena. Like, I ended up remembering a lot more about it from watching it back than I did in the arena. It just was maybe it was because how emotional and how much of an energy jump the Rhodes Brothers match was. And then after that, you saw the belt, and that was just a good way to cool down the crowd. But it just, I don't know. I I totally see where you're coming from with that, Brian, and I agree that. It just, in the arena, it was kind of quiet up until the ending, and especially the the crowd started going really wild for when Pentagon was trying to break Matt's arm. Like, that was when everything really kind of woke up in my mind.
1: It was also kind of getting late at this point, at least for me, and I'd been, uh, you know, on the lake all day. Doing bougie shit?
3: Yeah, yeah you are being a lake boy. It's okay.
1: <laughs> so I was pretty tired as yeah. the last two matches came on. All right, the main event. Chris Jericho defeats Kenny Omega uh, with the Judas Effect and <laughs> secures his spot uh, to face Hangman Page to determine the first AEW world champion. Mike, I know you love the Judas Effect.
3: It's so bad. I'm sorry. I was cracking up for a second. The Judas Effect is one like jericho uh i mean i know he's almost 50 so i'm not like body shaming but he's a weird looking dude now and you see him like do like this stumbling back elbow like how are we supposed to believe that this was like a knockout move with the exception of the fact that kenny omega broke his nose earlier in the match like it just was ridiculous but like this match was okay. I was entirely amused by the fact that there was a cracker barrel in the middle of the ring for no reason the third <laughs> match. Like that owed. Like I went weird. Like, cracker barrel barrel. The cracker barrel barrel. But it was i have been i have been full of crackers. We don't know Aaron. It's true. But yeah, I went three and three quarters. This was fun, but it was obvious it was, I didn't like this as much as the Russell Kingdom match. And this actually ended up being one like my least favorite matches on the main show, but that still was fine. At, I thought Jericho's entrance ruled. I thought that that was really cool. Like, I liked the little touch they made with Lionheart to Millennial, Millennium Man to the uh, list of Jericho going into actual Jericho. I thought that was actually pretty cool. So,
0: did you feel like it
3: baby faced him a little bit? I did (laughs) Hmm. for like a second and then. as the match went on and the way that he kind of presented himself and especially like the way he was kind of vamping in the ring before Kenny came out, like he kind of got back the heelishness, but yeah, like seeing him come out, like, I mean, Lineheart Chris Jericho was my favorite wrestler as a kid. So like having him come out with that, I was like, Oh yeah, this was the guy that got me into wrestling. So that, that did babyface him a little bit to me.
2: I, uh, so when, when we previewed this, I said the, the show was going to live or die based on if Chris Jericho could deliver like a great match here. Cause people were just going to remember the main event. And like, I was the exact opposite of what happened because by this point in the show, like I had enjoyed the rest of it so much. And those other matches were so great that I really just didn't care at this point. I was like, okay, whatever. Like that was a great show unless they really fuck up or something, goes horribly wrong here. Then this was all great. Um, the show's effect was awesome. It was the best part of the match by far. It was enhanced by Kenny's nose, obviously already being broken by that point. But Chris Jericho couldn't do no wrong with me. Like the cornier and weird, more weird dad rock shit that he does, the better as far as I'm concerned. So he can, you know, spin off into the night with just weird, (laughs) weird looks and weird hats and weird finishing moves. And like, he's got like a weird biblical thing now where he's like, Judas to Vince McMahon and he comes out and he acts like he's being crucified or whatever. I love it. It's all stupid and weird. And uh, I think you should go beat Okada for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship now. Uh, but yeah, I basically didn't really watch this match until the finish of it. Um, Kenny came out in Sword Art Online cosplay, which is like not at all cool. <laughs> it's like really uncool. Um, I don't know. I don't. It's not good to do uh like it's a you know perfectly in his alley because he's like a you know a gamer nerd kind of thing and like I play video games I'm a big nerd but just not that anime just not a cool one
1: just like weirdly not a cool touch for gamers <laughs> <laughs> just weird uh, yeah, yeah that that took me out of like the first 10 minutes of the
2: match to be honest
1: yeah this was fine it was like. It was okay. The Wrestle Kingdom match was a lot better. This was fine. I liked it. It was a good match. Just not great. Um, Well, has has everybody commented on this? Brian, have you commented on the match
0: yet? I mean, I would call it fine. Like it wasn't so bad. I didn't think it was bad and I didn't think it was so bad that it could have tanked the show. Like I think no matter what they did, the show would have been fine. Uh, But it I don't know. I like Chris Jericho with his face painted and all that shit, too. I was kind of bummed I didn't get to see the New Japan version of Chris Jericho live, you know? The
2: pain maker.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I wanted to see, the painted face and the bad hair and the and the crazy outfits that he wears over there, the leather jacket and stuff. And uh, I basically got Chris Jericho.
1: Yeah, so I guess my take is that this match was was fine. It was good. But... And if the show had ended right after, you know, the Judas effect, I probably I'm not sure that I would have come on here and said it was the best pay-per-view American pay-per-view of all time. Uh, but when we got into the post match, it was so hot that it like really turned things back up and yep. let in on a great note. So we get Jericho cutting a promo, you know, fulfilling the uh, the post match or the pre match, um, whatever, whatever I'm trying to say. Uh, that he was gonna demand a thank you if he won. Everybody knows what I mean. And he did that. So he wants a thank you. But instead we get John Moxley. He came out of the crowd, right? I didn't make that up.
2: Yeah, that was the probably the most memorable part of it was that he walked through the crowd, like when he was part of an overact. And you just got the great thing unique to pro wrestling where a giant star is walking amongst all the people and pockets of the crowd are seeing him and fucking losing their mind. And you just like hear it go around the arena and it's absolute, absolutely like intoxicating. And you just hear the giant pop when they finally put him on the screen and it's fantastic. And Jr. freaks out and Alex Marvez is like very quiet and Excalibur (laughs) freaks out and yeah, it was great. Um, that he he like clips his feet when he when he rolls in the ring which i'll remember because i'll probably watch this like you know 20 times for the rest of my life and i'll always notice that he clips his feet but yeah just fantastic surprise um we'll talk you know about john moxley length i imagine but just the biggest star in the world right now and it kicked ass
1: yeah he rolls into the ring he hits jericho with dirty deeds although they just called it a ddt on commentary so i don't know if it's getting renamed uh, then he attacks the ref and hits him with the dirty deeds too. Uh, then we get Moxley and Kenny Omega brawling and they brawl all the way to the stage onto the big, so
2: when, when they start the brawl, they do, it's, it's all very smart how they plotted this out. I think, cause he picks up Omega. You don't know if he's going to attack him or what goes to attack him, but Omega doesn't go down for the dirty deeds. And instead they roll out of the ring. And in fact, they f- roll out through the second rope and land perfectly on the already smashed table, which like looked, phenomenal and like could not have been more fortunate the way they like rolled right across the smash table uh, and yeah like you said and then they go to brawl to the to the side
1: yeah they end up on top of these big uh, poker chips uh, Mox gives Omega the dirty deeds on top of the poker chips and then I guess the Death Valley driver off the chips down to the stage Omega takes I think it's three. a I
2: think it's an attitude adjustment off the chips
1: you could say that uh, pretty gnarly bump so a lot here so first for Mike and Brian who were in the building, there was some difference about like how big this pop was. How did it feel in the arena?
0: Uh, I noted. I didn't even know what was going on at first and people just kind of started yelling. I thought they were cheering for the end of the show or whatever. And, then, and Chris Jericho had been asking people to thank him, asking the crowd to thank them. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty impressed that they're like not saying thank you because I assumed that the crowd would just chant thank you because, you know. They, they want to be like fun with Chris Jericho. And then when I saw that it was when it was Mox, I, I got up and freaked out. And everybody was freaking out when they figured out who it was. It like took a second for people to figure out what was going on. But as soon as they saw, I because he had Mox spray painted on the back of his shirt, people started freaking out. And it was cool. It was definitely like a top wrestling experience for me, for sure.
3: Yeah. At this time I was I moved from where I was sitting over the press area. So I was standing on the floor of the lower bowl. And all I noticed was Atlas Security sprinting around for a second. I was like, someone hopped the ring and I was just like talking to people. And then I turned around and I saw Sean Moxley. And maybe it was just like my vantage point, but that might have been the loudest that I've personally been in a arena for. Like I know Madison Square Garden was a loud arena at points. But with the way that MGM Grand Garden Arena is, it's just the sound just spreads out. And it was really obvious with that, that how it went there. And just like everyone was going batshit, like Brian said. And then he like ran also past me again. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. John Moxley is not as tall as I thought he was. Okay. And then just like the brawling around on top, tossing over the poker chip and all that. I thought that that was like the perfect moment. And like, just, like, if you want to end your first show, ending it like this was the perfect way for them to do so because then you, like, have so many questions that will be answered across the next few shows, especially in the lead-up to TV. And I thought that it just was great. And for it is okay to very good but not great, I thought this match was, this was an excellent way to end the show. And it definitely gave me some adrenaline going in for the rest of my night because it just, at that point, like, John Moxley was completely out of my brain. Like I was like, "Oh no, he didn't show up then. I guess he's not showing up." And then he shows up in the, the night and that ruled. So, yeah, it was awesome.
2: Yeah, I was I think it was also excellent that they really, you know, set him up with Omega right away. Like, you know, he and Chris Jericho had a famously bad match in WWE, so I it was a relief that they didn't amer- immediately pair him opposite the other, you know, WWE guy here. Instead, they had him and Omega create an issue and start to develop something. So now they've got him and Omega programmed, presumably for a next big show. They've got Jericho and Paige. Like those are two extremely fresh matches that we've never seen before. Probably thought we never would see in our lives. So um, yeah, just great Two two big things that they can start building around.
1: So obviously it'll be a long time before all out where these matches are presumably going to happen. But what do we think about Jericho as the the winner of this match. I think we all kind of thought uh Kenny would be the winner. And what do we think of Jericho Page as the first AEW World Title match?
0: I don't think I thought I mean I didn't think Kenny was a shoe in here. Like even before the match. Oh Brian, he knows everything now that it already happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I said I I mean I kind of felt like they were both signed. It was 50-50 what would happen in that match. There was no reason that Kenny should Win Come at on, all? I would make predictions next time, coward. Okay, did
2: I, did I predict? Did I not predict? What did uh, I predict? I don't think I was. A, I was certainly was not one hundred percent on Kenny winning. I thought that they might have Jericho win here because it's, um, you know, it, it gives Kenny it gives Kenny time to do other things before they sort of establish him at the top of the card. And like we did we did discuss that jericho's going to New Japan to challenge for their top title. So I did not think it was outside the realm of possibility that. They might put Jericho over here because um, we know Jericho is going to be able to draw you know, big houses in the U.S. Uh, just as well or better than Kenny at this point. So, um, you know, Paige is like the more unknown, will be the unknown to people, but he's definitely the people, the person that they should be focusing on building into being a top guy in a couple of years. I don't think he should win the title now, um, but, you know, I so I, but I do think, Jericho and Page is a very fresh match, and it definitely tabs Adam Pages. Hey, normal people that haven't been watching BTE or Ring of Honor or whatever the fuck, here's our next star. Like, keep your eye on this guy. He's not going to win the belt yet, but in a few years, you're going to be like, oh yeah, you know, he was the first challenger. Now he's coming into his own.
0: Jericho also starts a cool lineage for the AEW title that kind of needs some sort of thing, you know, like you, you, I mean, I guess Kenny Omega's winning, it could work, but you could have Jericho win it. And then you could have, you know, uh, Moxley win it off of Jericho. And then once by the time somebody that's one of the newer guys gets it, it's, it's got a couple people that have had it that are important that are perceived as like threats or, or legends, you know, great, great point.
2: And I have a question on that. Since Chris Jericho was the first unified champion, does that make him the last WCW champion?
3: Mm. Well, first mm. it was undisputed and yes, yes it was.
2: So, he I was guess, last yeah. w, he was the last WCW champion. And then now he's going to be the first AEW champion maybe. I mean, I'm just saying it's a new WCW, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow the continuity right there.
3: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you know, I was a Kenny is winning person because I didn't see them. I, I mean, I just like the way it's like, okay, Kenny's your initial ace. You go with him. He's the guy that has the cachet and goes with this. But Brian's point about the idea of developing the legacy, I mean, just think about the whole uh, entrance video they always do for New Japan titles, and you could start off with Chris Jericho before you're leading on to it. You have Jericho, who at this time has had legacies in Mexico, Japan. He's developing Japan again. Canada, United States, ECW, WCW, WWF, WWE. Like, this is the perfect person. And then, really, Adam Page, if I was the book backwards, Adam Page should not be getting the title for, like, the next year. Like, you need to build up Adam Page and make the crowds just crave him. I mean, he was already getting huge pops when he was notified as, like, okay, he was the winner of the first title eliminators, but you still have time to build him up even more. You have time to, like, make him into – the guy and you could still have him in the meantime, if Pac ever comes back, play off the Pac stuff. So I I think it's pretty clear that I would, I'm with Brian. I I put it on Jericho.
1: Yeah. Got to make people want, crave the Adam page win.
3: And they will get the honk man over. Get the honk. Yeah.
2: But he's not next either. I think it's, it's, it's Jericho. And then it goes to Omega or something. And you build Adam page up for
1: a year or two years down the line. I think the Omega-Moxley feud becomes pretty interesting because Omega has lost this first match with Jericho. Do you really want to put uh, Mox over him next? Or how do you want to play that? I think that's going to be fascinating to watch play out.
2: Well, I think that's fascinating. Plus, <laughs> Moxley and Jericho are both in New Japan and are going to be very high, having very high-profile wins and losses for titles in another company, which yeah. makes it doubly interesting.
1: But it's probably important to go into October with someone like Jericho as champion as you start your television and you're trying to attract new eyeballs. That's probably the right way to go. Adam Page is not going to, you know, put people uh, tuning in. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk John Moxley a little bit. That's double or nothing. So that's the first show. Great show. By any measure, a great success. Even if you don't agree with me, still a great success. All right. John Moxley. We've uh, confirmed according to Tony Khan after double or nothing that Moxley has signed a multi-year deal with AEW. We found out shortly after double or nothing that he's also, I guess it was the next morning that he's also going to be working with new Japan. He's been announced for the best of the super juniors final on June 5th. He will challenge juice Robinson for new Japan's United States title. This brought up a lot of interesting questions about whether they were working together, new Japan and all elite, because you know, this video explicitly did not come out until he had already debuted at Double or Nothing. Uh, there's a quote from New Japan GM Michael Craven. He said, New Japan and John Moxley came to terms on an agreement some time ago, completely independently of all elite. Our understanding is that he is free to wrestle in Japan. We wish AEW well, but have no working relationship as of now. So interesting comment from new japan especially that last line uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about moxley's appearance on Togas jericho but he did say on that that he worked out with other companies that they wouldn't say anything until he debuted with uh, aew
3: yeah this is interesting and kind of another point on the fact that they are doing for what i assume is a true independent contractors relationship because he's able to negotiate the new japan there might you're able to dictate some forms of exclusivity independent contracting but he's able to do this he's announced for the northeast wrestling shows that voices of wrestling joe lanza heavily teased over the last few weeks and you know it's going to be interesting like i guess he's doing t1 which makes it very hard for him to do fight for the fallen it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out who gets the priority on the certain shows and which one he decides to do because i don't see how he can do G1 and then also do Fight for the Fallen.
1: Do we have reported today that he will not be at Fight for the Okay. Fallen.
3: Okay. We uh
2: I don't yeah, I don't we don't th- I don't think we know one way or the other if he's in the G1, but that would obviously it would be a huge um get for New Japan to be able to put him on that Dallas show certainly which would uh maybe suggest that he's in the G1, but we also think that a lot of uh his ability to work in New Japan is that he, you know, negotiated some international Uh, freedom to work where he wants and that's not exactly the same thing as working for New Japan in Dallas when uh, you know AEW also wants him to draw for their American shows Um, yeah I think it's fascinating Uh, there's a lot of great listening to be done on all of this Um, the the talk is Jericho episode obviously there's an interview with Juice Robinson on the official New Japan podcast with Chris Charlton that's a great listen Um, but Uh, And then, you know, I just looking at people's reactions, like, of course, you know, the the immediate assumption was, oh, there must be some communication here for these guys to all be able to work this out with each other. Um, But like if you look at the, again, Japanese users, Twitter replies, like, they're like, oh, it's an AEW invasion. Like two AEW guys are walking into the company demanding title shots and immediately getting them, which is not often how things are done in New Japan. Like usually there's some sort of win to set people up for title shots and stuff like that. Um, so they're, they're perceiving it that way. And they're saying things like, oh, you know, one of the Tokyo Dome shows is going to be AEW versus new Japan and which, you know, would be awesome. And I think the relationship is one that benefits both sides, but does not appear to be the actual case right now.
0: It's, it's gonna ha I, I do think it's going to end up happening, but, uh, I don't think they're working together. It's just as easy for John Moxley to be like, Hey, just don't announce this until after, double or nothing i don't think like that's that crazy of a request or anything i the people are very i mean this is like 9-11 truth style stuff <laughs> around here that snowden dude was posting stuff earlier not edward snowden the wrestling it's snowden so, yeah. yeah
1: j.e the bad j.e yeah <laughs> that's a starters joke uh, oh. Uh, oh oh oh
2: we should talk about that
1: Okay, go ahead, my man. All uh,
2: right. Well, you know, John Moxley, now an AEW, a Warner Media uh, associated company, enterprise, uh, married to Renee Young, who, of course, is the person that gets the starters all their tickets to the WWE shows, right. which then causes them to talk about WWE on their basketball show, even though they also work for Warner Media. Just saying this is a step closer to getting the starters to stop talking about the WWE and start
1: talking about a real wrestling promotion. That's right. I want to see them on camera. I want to see the uh, Dean uh, Dean John Moxley has to start giving him tickets. That's it.
3: Yeah. So Nate, is this your long-term goal of the show is to get the starters just to stop watching WWE? Uh,
2: Number two is to make Vince personally upset and have it, you know, have (laughs) indigestion late in the evening. Um, Number three is to get co-opted and sell out.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What if WWE buries our podcast on the
0: air? If WWE does.
1: Yeah, it'd be cool
2: oh, oh
0: god. god yeah that's like my dream of getting screamed at by bill o'reilly on tv someday.
2: <laughs> yeah you gotta and i'll tell vince now you gotta be careful with brian because brian got kimothy just ran out of the business already. i know
0: <laughs> i know i closed the dot damn comedy club okay r.i.p kimothy done it's canceled Well, not in peace rest in unpeace <laughs> yeah like rest in shit kimothy yeah rust in pieces yeah yeah <laughs> Got her. I uh, can just- I say yeah. that can I say that John Moxley fucking made me feel like and I this is gonna this is like uh Aaron's big this is the best pay per view in the history of pay-per-views take but he really I haven't felt about a wrestler like th- since like Stone Cold Steve Austin when I was like 18 years old when when I when I saw him like because he just came in and he beat everybody in the ring up and he was a baby face and he was just immediately over he is a he's so fucking exciting now I mean I have to see him in a match and see if he's maybe works a little stiffer and better than he did in WWE those suicide dives maybe don't do those but uh i'm very excited about him like i i I haven't been as excited about a wrestler since i was a fucking teenager than i am this guy yeah then he cut
1: that badass promo
0: yes exactly everything he's done since he's left that company has been fucking awesome yeah Yeah. then he's like
1: I mean, he's basically like, I'm declaring war on, he doesn't explicitly say WWE, but that's what he's saying. The pillars of this industry, which right.
2: are at this point, you know, and he's going to New Japan. So that's not one of the pillars. There's only one pillar left. Right. Really.
1: Anybody who stands in AEW's way, he said. Yeah.
2: So that's, yeah, it, that's another thing to support. Yeah. You know, we're at competition. It's a revolution. We're declaring war basically. Uh, but yeah, uh, John Moxley, biggest star in the business right now. Um. You know, made those two badass videos. Aaron said it when the first one came out and was like, they got to have him now because now he's a huge star after this yep. video, after this sick Nick Mondo produce here. Um, and then he, he went on Talk to Jericho, which we'll talk about. And basically, is like the most sympathetic person in the wrestling world, just with how they've dumped all over him and the attitude that he's kept despite that. And uh, it, having just listened to that, it's very gratifying that he got that huge pop at Double or Nothing because he talks about, like, the big pops that the WWE robbed him of and how, like, when you're in rehab for an injury, those are the things you live for is getting those big pops back. So that was awesome. Um, and I maybe we'll transition into the Talk is Jericho stuff now. But basically, you know, maybe they didn't get CM Punk for this promotion, but they basically have a new CM Punk anyway because it's, you know, the same narrative with how the Fed fucked him. Um, but he's still got his love for wrestling. Which I guess is what makes the difference between him and and CM Punk, and uh, yeah, you know, if he doesn't, if he can't produce in the AEW ring at a super high level for a while, he doesn't need to because he's that over and he's that cool right now. Maybe that's not the story in New Japan where they have a higher working level um, and he's not like an established quantity to them in that audience at this point. Uh, But yeah, in in AEW, I think he's good as gold right now.
3: I one last thing before we go to talk is Jericho have y'all checked out his Instagram that he just started no he has an Instagram he only follows seven people it's his wife the other two members of the shield wrestling promotions and the viper room What is
0: him in the Viper Room? Wait, he loves that place.
3: He loves the Viper Room. I I don't know why. I guess it might just be a music thing. I mean, he talked about watching footage of Woodstock 99. he's just very much
0: (laughs) that killed me. That ruled. I was was there. Ambrose is watching a concert I was at. Were you at the Limp Biscuit set? I was, I have a picture of myself and well, I couldn't take a picture of myself at the time because it was like a disposable selfies camera. Selfies
2: were not invented yet. Yeah. But
0: I was in the mosh pit. There is, I have pictures from inside of the mosh pit during that Limp Biscuit set.
1: So I like, I found, I would go on eBay and try to find like VHSs of that Limp Biscuit set. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got it, I thought it was, like, the best thing on earth, and I've watched it, like, a billion times.
0: It's the most danger I've ever felt I was in in my entire (laughs) life was being – I was in probably, like, the first four rows of the mosh pit at that thing. And I remember uh, they started playing break stuff, and I turned around and looked, and all I could see was moshing, like – in the distance and i took off running as fast as i could (laughs) to get the fuck out of there
2: (laughs) moshing in the distance that's incredible reminds me like being in a fucking medieval battlefield or something it was
0: it was like you there were so many people you couldn't see the other because like usually when you're at a concert with moshing you can see outside of the pit it's fairly easy you can just step outside of it and, and like you just you just had to take off running like you were in football to get out of there. Cause <laughs> those big pieces of plywood were pretty thick. And if they would have hit you in the face, the one that Fred Durst was surfing on, if that would have hit me, hit you in the face, it would have fucking killed you. So I was like, I got to get out of here. I can't believe they're doing this.
3: Uh, Brian, I have one last question about your new Phantom of John Moxley. Do you think that he exhibits some Supreme Southern Ohio energy? Because yes, I have family from Southern Ohio, and when I go visit them, I'm like, okay, John Moxley just fits the bill perfectly.
0: Yes, he does. he That's what I think I really – he is like fucking Ohio Stone Cold Steve Austin, which is exactly <laughs> my dream of a person. <laughs> I wanted to be Ohio Stone Cold Steve
2: Austin. Preach. The Ohio Stone Cold Steve Austin murder Brian. For me, by the way, it was Papa Roach. That was the most dangerous pit that I was ever in was Papa Roach. (laughs)
1: That's a
2: good one. That was was because we had – this was in high school, so we had like a bunch of 16-year-old girls with us. We were like trying to (laughs) protect them from serious bodily
0: harm. Yeah, (laughs) I was uh, probably hate breed. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, terror for sure. Aaron, you and me are the – two most opposite guys that have ever spoken to each other in this world <laughs> hate breed is a band when somebody says do you think any bands suck I always say hate breed like right wow. away um, wow I gotta be serious I gotta be clear I haven't listened to hatebreed since about
1: 2005 so I,
0: I can't I, speak for the music they've made since then I don't like like music about like being confident and feeling good about yourself <laughs> and like, you know, persevering. Like that's my problem with a lot of that. Music. <laughs> I kind of went there, but if you listen to like their first album, it's like way more fucked up than that.
1: Okay. That's not all about perseverance. No. Like one of the songs on their first album is called conceived through an act of violence.
0: Okay. Okay. It give it a shot. Jamie Josta. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Josta. yeah. Jamie Jasta. I mean, it's
1: like if, it just depends if you're into Tough Guy Hardcore, which there was a time in my life when I was very into Tough Guy Hardcore. It was like that and like Throwdown was like my favorite band on Earth. Uh, terror, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff where it was just like guys talking shit about like how they would, you know,
0: beat the shit out of you if you said the wrong thing to them or whatever. I thought that was very cool. I mean, I, I'm just- sure you talking about that right it's just such a guy that's never done drugs thing to be into oh yeah <laughs> is like Throwdown is a band, you know it's like uh yeah
1: for sure i love the straight edge tough guy hardcore for sure yeah
2: <laughs> next uh next Blackpink tour
0: brian you got to come with us next time yeah! I hey i'm gonna be in chicago for labor day weekend but also more because yeah, it's a I good place Black to Pink, sell right? a bunch of tickets
2: <laughs> that's good Blackpink won't be there but <laughs> Also good to come to Chicago
0: for your own show. Ryan, are you? Uh, I'm going to be in Dayton on Friday. Friday, Friday. I'm here. I am in Columbus, Ohio. I might be recording, but uh, hey, you you come know? to Dayton and see Iron Chic and Spanish Love Songs. Who's Spanish Love Songs? It's a band. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm Iron you Sheik- know band, not the wrestler. Extremely unhip, Aaron. <laughs> I like corn.
2: <laughs> hey, Billy oh, yeah. Eilish
0: is hit, man. Billy Eilish is hit. That's I true. Bought my daughter a Billy Eilish style uh, Supreme shirt while I was on yeah, vacation. That's dope. Her out on tour. Yeah, she loves it. She's wearing it today. So I was a <laughs> success.
1: It's so cute. Love it.
0: All right, it's time for you. Do got it? You got to get her up on Blackpink, though. Just saying. Oh yeah, she won't do it. She, I listen. What? The worst thing that can she BTS possibly, Army. The the worst thing <laughs> that can put no. She hates K-pop. Is oh, that K-pop? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's K-pop. She, she makes fun of kids that part. like that stuff. Mm, that's made. Yeah, yeah. She <laughs> probably make fun of you, Nate. I'm just saying, you're a very cool guy to me. But uh, to her, I mean, if hmm. I recommend a band to her, she's not gonna like it. That okay. is 100 fair enough. Sure. We gotta, we gotta get Brett to recommend it to her then. No, that works even worse. Really? Like I'm the cool guy to the teens. I, there's two teens. They think I'm the cool. <laughs> Somebody's one. gotta clip that. i'm the cool guy to the team well my daughter and my niece think i'm the cool one out of especially out of me and brett and out of all the adults really they think i'm the cool one because i am very cool (laughs) okay let's
1: talk about talk as jericho but i kind of just want to be very brief about this we've kept brian here for a very long time at this point uh the main thing is basically said he left wwe due to creative issues, you know, he kind of describes the really ridiculous creative process. And we kind of never knew what he was going to be doing till he got there. He always hated it. And basically, it was a fight to try to get to, you know, do a promo that wasn't embarrassing and didn't make you want to die. He describes what sounds a lot like clinical depression due to the awful work environment. It was funny hearing him say, like, you know, I don't want to say it's depression, but I would wake up and not want to get out of bed. And he starts kind of describing his symptoms. And Chris Jericho's like, sounds like depression. (laughs) So that was kind of funny. Um, And then he talks about like turning down, not only turning down their contract, but refusing to look at it
2: (laughs) when they offered it to him. Just extremely like biggest star in the world, alpha shit that he didn't give a fuck about any of that. Um, Just very cool. Now he's a huge star. Very cool.
1: Yeah. And very cool hearing him say, you know i try to think about what if they
0: gave me 10 million dollars and i thought what do i need 10 million dollars for my trucks paid off yeah that's i mean that's my philosophy too if i could just pay my student loans and my car off i wouldn't need any more money i'd be fine that's why i hope to someday get two hundred thousand dollars. then i'll be rich <laughs>
2: so yeah uh, this this interview though is full of like you, you listen to this interview and you're immediately reminded oh yeah like th- there's a very charismatic engaging speaker In this guy that's been ruined by WWE TV for a very long time. So that's just an immediately uh, compelling thing and promising for his future in pro wrestling. But, yeah, it's full of great quotes. He says at one point that, you know, uh, if he had to, he would leave the WWE and go – back to the indies, go back to like CCW, and he would start trading his own opponents so that he could reseed the wrestling industry from the ground up because he still loves wrestling that much. Just, I mean, what a huge fucking baby face.
1: Yeah. I want to read that quote because it's so good. He says, even if there was no other, I'm sorry, I didn't see that you clipped it there. (laughs) He said, even if there was no other company in the world, I would have still left WWE. If there were no wrestlers, I would have started my own promotion, my own wrestling school and trained my own opponents. I would have reseeded the wrestling business from scratch if I needed to.
3: Imagine what John Moxley produce could have been. Would have been great. Yeah,
2: would great been- promos. I mean, just talk talk about acting like a badass in a fucking interview with Chris Jericho right here.
1: Oh yeah, and what you were saying, Nate? I, I went back and watched that uh, inoculations video on YouTube that he talks about in this. In this episode, he talks about how that was the moment where he's really like, I got to get the hell out of here, where he had to shoot this video, this skit with a doctor giving him um, distemper and rabies shots, you know, to deal with the crowd in Milwaukee or whatever. And I went back and watched that and I was like, this is not only is like the concept bad, but his performance is bad. And, it's, and I had just watched the uh, his paradigm shift promo from AEW right before that. And it's hard to believe that it's the same dude. It's uh, amazing what that company did to a a very, very good
3: performer. Yeah. He's just always been a top in the world promo before WWE. It completely went away. Now it's back and it's awesome.
2: Right. Mike was talking about with those videos, like this guy used to be a top promo. Just let the man promo. So I do. We got one little AEW promo from him. I want to I want a New Japan promo from him on juice on why he's going for this IWGP US title, because I want to get that story, too. So uh, somebody tell Mox that we need that.
1: But the most important part of the Talk is Jericho episode, which I suggest everyone listen to, is that he proved that your old pal Mike Spears uh, knows his shit and was right. He said that he spent a grand total of $8,000 on his big prison break video leaving WWE that all the chuds said had to have been made by WWE because it uh, would have cost so much money to make.
3: $8,000 that... He could have made even, he could have spent even less if he didn't make the mention that his good friend Nick Mondo, yes, sick Nick Mondo, who made the video, which is even better, didn't have to rent a red camera, which costs about several thousand dollars a day because he wants to have it in 4K. You can do production and you can do things well, not at a hard, not at a high price. We should not be tolerating bad promos, WWE aesthetics where they have to have the contrast up. The lighting completely out of whack or having them turn towards the camera just the whole entire aesthetic we can be, be behind we can be beyond that and anyone who had just the brain worm to think that oh there's just some greater conspiracy because who the hell can make this video you have had your brain melted by so many years of terrible garbage fucking television <laughs> and at the end of the day what this means is we we all of us have seen the paradigm shift video right We've all seen it. Yeah, that was yes. staring straight into a camera, camera for a minute and a half, maybe even two minutes, and just cutting a promo, pacing back and forth, having just natural light. And it was just fine. Bring Dogma ninety five into wrestling.
1: Reach well, Mike uh, did not at all disappoint there. Okay, that's really all I wanted to say about Talk is Jericho. Anybody else got any? I comments? mean,
2: you got everybody should listen to it. We can't do yeah. justice
1: to it, so. Yeah, listen to talk Jericho. I can't believe we're doing that, but that's what—that's the point that we've reached here. It's actually very good, and it's mostly Moxley talking. Jericho sounds like he wants to crawl into a hole at points uh, just in case this whole AEW thing doesn't work out and he needs another payday from Vince. So he, he doesn't really speak up a lot. Uh, so mostly just Mox telling his story.
2: Well, he might be afraid of uh,
1: litigation, given how the CM Punk interview went. True. Yeah. All right. You, all right. Last couple of notes. Fighter Fest, June twenty nine in Daytona, Florida. Uh, the tickets went on sale today. We're recording this on Wednesday, I think it is. Tickets went on sale today, selling quickly. Looks like it's mostly sold out. I think there are still some tickets available, uh, so check that out uh, if you're interested. The card here's what we know so far: Cody versus Darby Allen, John Moxley. His first AW match will be against Joey Janela. And the Young Bucks and Kenny will take on the Lucha Brothers and a mystery partner. This was previously going to be Pac.
3: Now we don't know who it's going to be. Yeah, just expect Pac if he comes in. It'll be way down the road. Yeah. All
1: right, and we'll talk about that card, you know, over the next month. So not much to say at this point. Yeah, I do. Just a, I'll
2: do a quick hit here. Um, so this is selling super well. Meltzer said that the pay per view did like. Uh, a, a well enough to the point that it doesn't make any sense to him, like he can't believe how well it did. He's probably just basing that on like Google Trends and shit. Um, the YouTube clip of Cody's press scrum that was boosted by Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, comma friend of the show, um, on YouTube was the number, the literal number one video on YouTube, uh, that day. All these indicators just had me super way more optimistic about this being a a success. Um, I I think I've underestimated the degree to which people are hungry for like competent American pro wrestling. Uh, So I just wanted to hit that while we're talking about the attendance here. I'm way more uh, optimistic about the like, oh yeah, they're going to fill, you know, semi big buildings around the country and start uh, uh, getting some real uh, traction on TV here.
1: All right. They also announced that All Out is, which we've been talking about this for a while, but it is officially happening on, I wrote June here. That's not true. August 31st at the Sears Center in Chicago. That's Labor Day weekend. The tickets will go on sale June 14. They are really hopping on how hot this show was. They put the Fight for the Fall or Fighter Fest tickets on sale today. And like two weeks from now, they're going to start selling the All Out tickets.
0: So yeah,
2: All Out's going to be a sellout for sure. There's no doubt
0: about that. Yeah. No I know. I'm worried I'm not going to get tickets, which is bumming me out. Well, you're you're media. We're, we're all media now, so we'll
2: figure something out. That's right. For?
1: yeah. We might be able to all get media passes for it. That would be
0: beautiful.
2: Maybe we should try and sort that out before they go on sale, just in
1: case.
0: That's a good idea.
2: That's what I've been saying.
0: That's what I've been trying to say, all too. Right. We'll, 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 we'll assemble, the,
2: out. assemble the Spears family here and see what we can do.
0: Yeah. yeah, I have hired a Spears to handle all that stuff for me now. <laughs> I've hired Sean Spears to handle that. <laughs> well, he's worthless. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I hired Drew Spears because Smart. he seems like a king bullshitter that can get me into things. <laughs> okay, last note. This
1: is the last thing we're going to say. We're going to get the hell out of here. They announced after the show, I think this was from Cody's, uh, scrum after the show that they're not going to be doing monthly big shows. We've kind of talked about that. They have monthly shows lined up, but the pay-per-views are going to only be quarterly. So the next one, it looks like is going to be all out. And then, you know, I don't know when the next one will be after that, but that does make you look a little differently at the $50 per show or per pay-per-view price. Uh, but it just depends you know they, Mike suggested, and we're not sure about this, but Mike thought that he saw that Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen would both be on BR Live.
3: Yeah, that was on something I saw on 411 Mania earlier today. Yeah. The, if it's on,
0: <laughs> I can I can corroborate that with Slice Wrestling.
3: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it looks like it's going to be on BR Live. There's no reference towards being on pay per view providers, which means maybe they're going to be either in whatever the past services or maybe like 10 or 20 bucks. Who knows? But yeah, if it turns out to be quarterly pay per views at $50, I think that's a lot more reasonable and a pill more easily swallowed.
1: Speaking of 401 Mania, shout out to a friend of the show, TJ Hawk. <laughs> yeah, no, no shots intended, <laughs> DJ
0: oh sorry i didn't mean
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry tj no it's,
2: it's very funny to roast tj
1: oh and if he listens he won't ever get this far so <laughs> uh so that's cool i think that's pretty much it I, we're not talking about bte as i said at the top of the show so uh i think that's pretty much everything yeah to fit in for call the- it
0: call it call it okay uh brian you want to do some plugs No, I'll be in Lexington, Kentucky on June 14th with the Trillbillies. Come see me there.
1: I'll be there, and we'll be uh, making sure that we get tickets to All Out the same day.
0: That's my hope. I'm going to enlist the entire fan base of Street Fight Radio to get me these tickets to All Out this time. I feel like I've been lucky to get the first two, so I got to go to number three.
2: Yeah, and if you're if you're one of these traveling wrestling fans that goes to the big shows around the country, keep an eye out for a street fight show at any of those because that's sort of how they plan their touring.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys notice how Brian said he didn't want to do plugs, and then he got in?
0: <laughs> I mean, beautiful, beautiful.
1: He's a professional.
0: I am. I am a big time pro. That's how I make my living. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. All right.
1: I think that's everything. I just want to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter at everything AEW. That's really going to be uh, bumping up in content, I would imagine, as the wrestling starts. We basically just argued with each other on Twitter throughout Double or Nothing, which was a lot of
3: fun. I got into the venue early, and I was able to take photos, so I provide content.
1: Yeah, and original content drives engagement, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what we like to do.
2: What was that? Was that marketing? did you learn that little... I don't know. I said that in
1: Nugget. I said right before Double or Nothing. So it was Uh, gross,
2: gross, gross. Follow
1: me on Twitter. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at, I almost said Michael. Mike is at Fujiheya with two eyes. And Brian of Street Fight Radio. You can find him at Murder Brian. So make sure you're following Brian on Twitter. Subscribe to the show. Rate review. All that good stuff. Uh, We'll be back next week. I hope some stuff happens between now and then. It always does. Uh, But I think that's it for now. So, for Mike, for Nate, for Brian, I'm Aaron. See you next time.